Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Hope you're doing well out there. On this episode, we talked to Mr. Minno Verbotten. He's originally from the Netherlands, made his way out to Los Angeles and attended school at MI where he met up with Skunk and his brother. He then taught at the school for 18 years. He's played bass guitar and sung with several bands, including the Carterized Cryptid Slaughter, and most recently the progressive doom band Behold the Monolith. This is definitely a podcast for metalheads. If you like Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Maiden, Sabbath, we also talk about Bob Daisley's book For Fact's Sake and why Sharon Osbourne hates him so much. We talk about the Monsters of Rock cruise and many other things on this podcast. As always, we'd like to thank our friends at Godin Guitars, Trading Guitars, Ernie Ball Strings and five Ironwood Works. Make sure and like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, all of our social media pages, whatever those damn things are, and uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Episode 41 <laughs> with a really awkward, strange well, intro. You started with, off in the wrong hole, so. <laughs> yeah, I started off in the wrong hole. It's been one of those days. Had my, my had my headphones plugged in wrong. Took us some, some time to to very basic. It's like uh, Sling Blade. Remember that movie Sling Blade? You guys yeah. seen that? And he's like, he's such a genius at fixing. The guy's like, I can't figure out what's wrong with the lawnmower. And then he's, he's like, there ain't no gas in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's always the mic like you're troubleshooting all this bullshit it's always like is is your cable plugged in i've had that happen on has that ever happened to you guys uh, you, you minnow like uh, am i saying your name right first of all we are here yes, with our guest minnow yes. verbotten that is correct 100 percent from the netherlands absolutely born and raised born and raised in the netherlands wow it's like when most people think of the netherlands i think we just think of like uh amsterdam <laughs> right and partying and drugs legal drugs and prostitutes and putting it in whatever hole you feel like and everything's legal right yep. if you pay the right yeah. price <laughs> so it's not the only thing though but i mean no i know is, it's there it's not a myth 
But that's how people like to think, though. Like, I'm sure there's all kinds of different things happening in the Netherlands, but we go, oh, Amsterdam party, mushrooms. Well, I was wars. just talking to Vic about that, about some museums yeah. and art. And, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff like that, too, because it's an old city. And, you know, there's a lot of things still standing there from sure. those times. So what's the what's it, it's it's the country itself is pretty small and um oh it's tiny tiny right and then uh, what's the population I mean, you guys, there do you, you know? guys are both in Texas right, right. I mean, you can yeah you, you can probably fit like fifty Netherlands into the state of Texas wow yeah the Netherlands is basically like the size of the like Houston or Dallas Fort Worth metroplex yeah, areas it's tiny it's tiny the population I think. Uh, right now i mean probably decreased a little bit over the last year but um about 17 million it's pretty densely populated yeah and um and then the language there the dutch or what's the dutch yeah dutch kind of like in between like we're geographically right in between england and then there's some water and germany and the language is a, a mix between german and english interesting kind of yeah i didn't really ever know what the deal was with with dutch the language well not many people do because there's so few people that speak it you know why would you learn dutch even if you go to holland almost everybody speaks english fairly well because we are such a small country and we can't expect people to uh, speak our language so we just accommodate i feel like that's a lot of uh countries in europe and you know various places in the world a lot of european countries i think they learn english right well, it's you almost like you, so many people are bilingual there right you, you kind of have to because it's english is kind of the international language nowadays so you gotta you know either pick english spanish or chinese but mm. i think china you know chinese only works in china really spanish yeah, and english are the, the way to go and i think english is still a little bit more of the the common language because america's the best <laughs> there you go hey there's a reason why i'm here and not there <laughs> yeah so what brought you to when did you start playing uh wh- tell us about your origins becoming a musician and i you, i know you as a bass player you play bass uh do you play other instruments as well was that your first instruments did you start on anything else what's the story there i wanted to start on bass but um i lived in a small town in holland and they had like a small music school and the only thing they offered there was classical guitar Mm. so since uh, i was about 14 and my parents insisted that if i was going going to learn an instrument i take at least a year of lessons so the only thing was available was acoustic guitar so i got literally the cheapest classical guitar that you could possibly find i think it was 30 bucks and got made fun of every lesson by my teacher for having such a shitty guitar and (laughs) to which my reply was well i don't even want to play guitar i want to play bass to which his reply was well then just play the lowest four strings and we'll figure it out (laughs) so i i kept that up for about a year and he was a really cool dude even though he made fun of me but you know i i kind of deserved that uh and he taught me some basics and then when the year was done i was like okay screw this uh i had my paper routes and everything and i just bought myself a bass so technically bass is my first instrument but guitar was in there a little bit before that just 
because out of necessity. But right. I always wanted to play bass. You know, the first time I heard Cliff Burton and Steve Harris, I was like, that's what I want to do. Cool. Awesome. Who are those guys? <laughs> um, I'm well, just kidding. <laughs> Country, one of them's pop, dead, so country, country stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude. Yeah. I know. Like, you know what's funny about Cliff Burton? I mean, you kind of get the the standard answers, um, and for good reason. I mean, Cliff Burton, same here. I mean, Metallica for all of us. I think. Oh yeah. In in kids today too, it just never has changed. Like they've been influencing people for thirty five whatever years, and it's like there's something about. I mean, they have this like stuff like Battery and you know Dyer's Eve and you know stuff that's just like fucking brutally fast and you know all that kind of great stuff. But then they have all those riffs that like a beginner can manage. And I think that's one thing that's made them so great and popular. I mean, great management, great songs across the board. But um, the fact that they had these accessible songs that you could play when you're starting out, like for whom the bell tolls and not everything was master of puppets, you know, there was like manageable stuff. And I don't know if that was an intentional thing or they just, that happened. It's, uh, but I, for whatever reason, man, I think we all started there on that stuff. And obviously Cliff Burton's just like a massive influence to anybody who's a bassist and guitar players. I think, you know, oh, yeah. shit. I didn't even know that originally that, uh, the, for whom the bell tolls, the, you know, intro was bass, you know, know. right. It's crazy. All these, all these like cool little bit bass intros, like damage incorporated. Yeah. Even in the official guitar book, it has it transcribed as guitar. And in the bass book, it's just not there. With Same what? With the, oh, are you talking about the, the swells or what? Oh. Yeah. That's no all shit. bass. Oh damn! Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's all Cliff. I learned that's something actually, too. That's actually based on a, a Bach piece because he was a huge classical uh, guy. Yeah. And it's a Bach organ piece called um, "Come Sweet Death." Wow. Okay. And if you listen to it, you can hear because it has like volume swells kind of in there too, and the chords, and it's it's all there. He just basically just translated that to to bass. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome, man. I, dude, I, I mean, Master of Puppets is just such a masterpiece. And I'm one of those guys that I don't, I'm not like, I don't, I don't subscribe to the selling out with the Black Album. I think that's, to me, those are the top two Metallica albums. I mean, it's so hard to pick. I think all their early stuff is amazing, but Master of Puppets is just such a great, for its time, sonically, it sounds so good. And it's just like the songwriting. And so much of that is Cliff. Yeah. I mean, you got stuff like Orion. They've never, I mean, that's one of the most brilliant compositions ever. And I think obviously Cliff had to have had a heavy hand in those kind of tunes heavy, and that kind yeah. of classical, like you said, that classical writing, man. And um, oh, the accessibility not too, right? field. like you were just mentioning, like it's, it's not too yeah. hard. It's not master of puppets, but it's still accessible. Right. But with enough. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I loved all those instrumentals on those early, like Call of Cthulhu, although that might've been some mistake in there. It's got the little hangar 18 progression, right? Oh yeah. Little, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a mistake for sure. And then yeah. you got, uh, but Orion, Cliff Burton all the way. Um, and yeah, man. So, so you said Cliff Burton and then obviously Steve Harris from Iron Maiden, right? Like huge band for leader, sure. big, big guy. So Steve Harris is a, definitely a big one. Everybody, uh, you know, obviously, um, uh, Getty Lee, um, used to hear Les Claypool back in the day, Flea. I mean, there's a zillion good bass players. But coming from a rock standpoint, what are some of your other uh, big influences? Um, well, Lemmy. You have mm. to go for Lemmy. I, 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 you know, I mean, that guy was, even though he's not like a Getty Lee or like a bass wizard, just his approach 
to everything, but also the bass is just so badass. He just is rock and roll. Like he's yeah. just a fucking born rock star. What I love about Lemmy too, and Ozzy's the same way. Those guys are like massive, or was you know when he was a massive Beatles fan, you know. Yeah. And and just that respect for that that classic rock, which you know that whole thing kind of came from the blues, you know, and that those sensibilities. So I think even when you got into the, it's funny now you think of like Motorhead or early Ozzy or but that's not metal the way you would think of it now right it's like hard rock right yeah yeah. but i mean those guys and i'm actually wearing you know i'm wearing a typo negative shirt and to me typo negative is a, a band that i absolutely love and that's another band i think they really did their own thing and had their own style and they got kind of like called goth which is i mean some of it in kind of tongue-in-cheek gothy stuff sort of but but i there's so one thing i love about them is how much they took from classic rock bands and they always covered all these old beatles and doors and stuff whatever right they always did all these yeah. covers. Every time I saw them live, they do like CCR, Doors, or they had a Beatles medley on an album. And you hear it in their in their songs, too. You hear that Floyd influence and all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think those are kind of like basics that you have to at least admit that, you know, they're important. You don't even have to like them, but, you know, I, I think as a musician when you listen to the beatles or you know bands like that you you they laid the groundwork so i mean you have to you have to respect that yeah are you uh are you is there any like mega bands like that that you're kind of like eh i respect it but i'm not really into it or i mean you're a, you're a metal guy from the get-go are you still oh yeah and i know you've been in metal bands and done a lot of that kind of stuff but do are there other styles that you really really dig and love too or what's yeah all of them mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> no, i mean that's of course as a musician right it's it's i i was um commenting on like a, a instagram thing uh that i posted like a parliament funkadelic thing the other day mm -hmm. and this friend of mine's like oh i love that you all do all these different styles and i i was kind of thinking about it and it's like i kind of I, I said music's kind of like an all-you-can-eat buffet you know those huge all-you-can-eat buffets they have all these different things you know you get your chinese food you got your japanese food you got your your burgers you got you know it, i like it all you know you can't just stick with just burgers because you know there's sushi and there's chow mein mm -hmm. and you know i i just love it all you know yeah. if it's done well I probably like it. I'm not the hugest jazz guy, but I can listen or, you know, play to that stuff and appreciate it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was never until fairly recently, the biggest classical guy, but you know, since this, this whole pandemic started, I've been diving into that and loving that too. I mean, there's, there's so much, so much stuff. Metal is always is going to be in the heart. You know, that's, that's the core. That's, that's the basis for everything. That's the reason, like Steve Harris and Cliff Burton, that I started playing music. Yeah, um, man. Yeah, a lot. Of, I started the same way with the with metal, but I was in metal. What's cool about it, and a lot of guys will, you know, say this, uh, is it has those classical elements. There's definitely, I think, a lot of metal oh, yeah. guys, guitar players, and are very a lot of oftentimes influenced by that. You listen to like some beethoven stuff and whatnot i mean that's fucking metal done you know however many hundred years in the 1800s and shit you know it's awesome oh, yeah. you know and there's that so there i think there's that classical aspect and a lot of guys are big baroque guys and and you know there's all those classical baroque type elements in a lot of metal 
but in the maybe maybe the, a lot of the newer stuff maybe is super super technical but i'm thinking back to kind of some of the stuff we were discussing what's cool about that stuff is you got those classical moments but then you also got a little bit of that bleeding from that british invasion that took from the blues right and you have this awesome oh, yeah. hybrid of, of musical styles i think that kind of cultivated to that you know huge genre of hard rock metal oh, um, sure I mean, even like way back with the classic rock with Richie Blackmore, he was oh yeah, like, and Deep Purple playing with a, an, an orchestra, but they they were still for that time a pretty heavy band. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's a good reference there. Um, what do you listen to? Like, so what have you been listening to lately, classical wise? Well, hold on. Let me put this cat away. Um. <laughs> um it's that's kind of a long answer in a way um do you guys know the movie master and commander yeah yes it's from like 2003 mm -hmm. russell crowe paul Bat bettany and all that there was also a great family guy spoof on that where it was masturbator oh. and commander did you ever see <laughs> oh, that man. i haven't seen <laughs> it I, i'll have to check it. that out oh dude it was late they come <laughs> They kept knocking on the captain's quarters. And he was like, be right, be right out. <laughs> yeah, I do remember that movie. All right, so that movie is based on a series of books. Mm -hmm. And in those books, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but if you've seen the movie, in the movie, uh, Russell Crowe is the captain, Paul Bettany is his friend and the ship surgeon. And when they're not blowing French ships out of the water, they play music one plays violin the other one plays cello and they play all this classical music so this movie is based on a whole series of like 20 books so i got those books and started reading them and the the author is just he just goes on and on about all this these classical composers and composers i had never heard of i mean i heard of beethoven and bach and mozart and all that but i never really you know delved that deep into it and he's you know, talking about Boccherini and Lucatelli and all these Italian guys. So because of those books, I started looking into that. I'm like, oh, this is really cool. And then when the, the whole lockdown thing happened and I couldn't go and, you know, play with other people, basically, I'm like, okay, what can I record at home that doesn't require drums? Because at that time, and I'm still not great at it, wasn't really able to program drums so all i had was a bass and a means to record a bass so you know you can't do metal because metal has drums you can't do funk because funk has drums you know all basically all modern music has some kind of drum thing going on it's like oh classical usually doesn't have drums so maybe i can you know try my hand at some classical pieces i uh, took this five string bass and instead of a low b i put a high C string on there mm. so I can get, you know, more in the, the cello and violin ray, uh, uh, range and, you know, found a bunch of sheet music online and started chipping away at it. Wow. So now, I mean, that's impressive. I, I obviously to play a bass and then play, blame the classical melodies and stuff. That's awesome. But you, so your bass is tuned E A D G C. So it's all fourths. Yep. Yeah, I was having that conversation with someone the other day about guitar tuning and stuff and, you know, the anomaly of the B string being tuned to a major mm -hmm. third where everything is also fourth. And I was like, but, you know, there are a few guys that do that. I was like, bass is 
like basses are like that because you have the low B and then B to E is a fourth. And then if you go to a six string bass, is, that is a C, right? That's how it's tuned. Correct. Yeah. So it's all fourths. And you know, Stanley Jordan, right? Guitar player who mm-hmm. plays like piano. Oh, that's, yeah. I know he tunes in fourths all the way. So you have C huh. and F up top. And yeah, that's that makes sense because I mean the the open high E string is for the chords for strumming the chords. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't make sense to have an F on top because then all your cowboy chords, so to speak, don't work right. anymore. But he only does like that thing, so yeah. for him it doesn't really matter. So that I never knew that. That's that's interesting and makes total sense too. And since I don't have a string above the C, it wouldn't make sense for me to tune it to B. Right. One is so. a bass player typically playing less. I mean, you may play double stops and, you know, some triadic stuff, but typically as a bass player, you're not playing big chords where you're playing four or five strings no. most of the time, right? I mean, that's that's pretty rare. So it makes a lot of sense that you would just have it symmetrical like that and not yeah. have that. There's no need to have that tuning of a third there because then yeah. when you go up into upper octaves you're actually doing the same patterns nothing changes that's one of the exactly. the worst parts about when you're explaining guitar and you sort of get that but you're like cool now and so this is always the case for a power chord shape and always the case for that skip except <laughs> once you get to that and then it's like and then everything's fucked because of the beast <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah that's why i mean i i play guitar too i have a couple guitars and i, I but it always stumps me when i get to that b string the pattern changes i'm like Mm -hmm. ah i have all those patterns but now i gotta shift one fret because it doesn't work yeah i mean i really i think that's so true like if if not for i mean certainly there was development of that over centuries and that standard tuning had to become where they're like okay these open shape this makes the most sense and the move so I'm sure there's you know a lot of logic to it, but um, but yeah, as someone who if you're not playing chords, it seems pointless. Why would you alter something when you could just keep an exact same pattern up into the next octave? Yeah. So cool, I, man. I guess um, if you would just be a lead guitar player and never play rhythm, you could probably do that and make more sense. But most guitar players don't. Yeah. Well, you know, there's those metal guys. I think I read this about Scott Ian once, and I. I mean, not to discount Scott Ian at all. He's a legend in his own right and the whole anthrax and everything. But, man, I saw him with Mr. Bungle, and I was like, holy fucking shit, dude. I was impressed. I mean, all those guys are, like, got to be at least 50 now, and they're killing it, man. That was just, oh, yeah. like, a thrash-tastic, just hour and a half, two hours of just brutal old-school thrash. It was awesome. But I I, everybody's been telling me about it. I haven't it was, checked it, it was, out. I need to, to do that. It was badass, man. It was nothing like I don't know if you know the uh, the original the you know Bungle catalog, the, mm-hmm. their, their three albums. It, nothing like any of that. It's just all thrash metal. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's and, that's uh, my roots. So yeah, you know, it was really really cool to see. I mean, Mike Patton was just like, okay, y'all aren't going to know any of this. <laughs> it's just like, and it was just like an assault for an hour and a half, and then they did like a a, a little you know bit in the middle where they played you know the seals and Croft's summer breeze tune which is a song that typo covered and was kind of known for um but in a typo style they did it like really like the original and you know so there scott ian had to play chords and stuff but <laughs> but i think i back to the point is like i once upon a time i felt like scott ian was one of those guys that's like oh yeah i don't even use the top two strings you know what i mean i just fucking it's all power yeah. chord riff shit. You know, you know, there's he, no need he for ever it. Ever plays lead, even on SOD. Those those guitar solos. That's the drummer. That's Charlie. Charlie Benate did that. 
Yeah, he writes that. most of the stuff. He's a badass yeah. guitar player. He Holy writes shit, most I, of the Anthrax riffs that. too. That's why the uh, the guitar and the drums flow so well together. It's just got this really cool wow. sound. And then that is yeah, really I cool. Guess, does he do the studio recordings? I wonder because I know back in the day Dan Spitz was more of the lead guy, and I don't remember that. Yeah, I think when Dan Spitz okay. left. He did some leads, and then Dimebag did some leads, too. But I wow. think uh, Charlie does play some leads on some Anthrax records, too. Wow, that's all right. I'm learning a lot on this podcast. He's, he's a talented he's man. He's been doing, uh, on his YouTube channel, just covering different tunes from different artists. Like, they did an Alice in Chains one. Um, he got back together with John Bush, and they did one of the songs from Sound of White Noise. I think it was Package Rebellion. So it was, yeah, oh, it was nice. just, it was just John and, and Charlie. And I think he's, he was either on a acoustic or maybe just solo electric, but yeah, you're really impressive. Yeah. Charlie's, Charlie's a, a talented guy for sure. He's, hmm. he's, I mean, you usually don't think of the drummer as the guy who writes the music, but he is one of those guys. Well, I mean, and a lot of people shit on Lars and a lot of drummers are like, Lars sucks, but to give and you know Lars can come off a little cocky or douchey sometimes but to his credit a I little? mean I think <laughs> <laughs> so like you know James well that was back in the day when he did the hair flips now he doesn't uh-huh. have shark tank but yeah. uh yeah but yep. <laughs> you see that that's Metallica's drummer he can't even afford a new is that yeah, what you're referencing is that a yeah. South Park yeah. <laughs> was it the Napster thing because a Napster he can't afford a new shark tank <laughs> Back then, I was like, fuck Metallica. They've already got all the money. What are they? And now I'm like, man, fucking right on for those guys looking out because it, it was it was actually looking out for guys like us. You know, I mean, doesn't matter now. You get, you know, pennies, not even pennies on streams anyway. And that's what the world is. But yeah, it's yeah. I mean, back zero, then, zero, it's like five pennies or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was before I was a, you know, a musician with with stuff to sell and working and playing and had music and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, whatever you've already, but now I'm like, I get what their fight was. And so props to them, but back to Lars, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, his, as a songwriter and the arrange, I don't know if he really plays, I'm sure most guys can strum some chords and shit, but, but yeah, I mean, he's definitely a, a a writing force. It's not like he just, you know, bangs on the drums, you know, he's really integral in the songwriting process and the arrangements. He, yeah, he's he's such an. I mean, without Lars, no Metallica. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lars is the guy. I mean, he's the Gene Simmons. He he's like the brains. You know, even if James does write all the riffs, I have no idea. Maybe he does, but Lars is the guy that put Metallica. I mean, he came up with the whole idea, put yeah. Metallica on the map, made Metallica famous, and is still you know the driving force behind it. Yeah. So. Yeah, yes, he's the business I make, guy for sure. Yeah, I make fun of him too, a lot. But I mean, the guy deserves all the respect. You know, I, you um, know, I think that about guys like Lars, Dave Mustaine, Axl Rose, and they get shit on a lot. And when you're that big, you're gonna get shit on. You're gonna get, you know, whatever. But but the same people that talk shit about you still listen to your records and love your old records. And you can exactly. say you sold out and this record blows and that. But it doesn't matter. They wrote some of the most iconic, great music yeah. ever and in, I, in this. I, you know. I'm not a fan of a lot of the later Metallica records. Not mm-hmm. at all. Not at all. Like, n- not even a little oh, no. bit. Some of the worst music that's... Metallica is right. so fascinating because they have written some of the greatest albums, of rock albums of all time, period. Undisputable. Yeah. 
and period. the worst but garbage. also saint, saint anger is just un, i tried it is unlistenable crap yeah. i don't understand yeah. it at all i tried it to, yeah it's <laughs> and then there's lulu that lulu doesn't make any sense to me either i don't understand what that was all about no i don't think anybody does i mean i granted i've only listened to about you know i think between 10 and 20 seconds of the whole thing well that's about as much as you can get through on that album or saint anger yeah it's just stupid but yeah you're right they wrote some of the best stuff ever and some of the worst stuff but i still they deserve every penny of whatever they have in their bank bank accounts they you know lars and james and kirk they deserve it. And I give them credit too for, I mean, one thing I'll say is like, even though they're bombed hard with that stuff, it doesn't matter. It does, it's obviously hasn't ever hurt them that much. And, no. but I mean, to also on the, you know, so some of the things they've tried are unlistenable garbage to, I think most people, but I, I thought it was really cool that they did that thing with Lady Gaga. I mean, James got fucked when they, they didn't have his mic on or whatever the hell, but like, uh, um, and then the day, what was the guy, uh, 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 Lang Lang or Ling Lang? I can't remember is the pianist, great oh, piano yeah, player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I dove into that guy for a while. I uh, was watching a lot of his videos, man, a phenomenal pianist that they did. And so they, they've always kind of been really cool about, you know, I think once they got in the Bob rock era and the black album, post black album, I mean, as much as they've done horrible stuff that one thing that's probably helped keep them relevant. Well, two things, they're always great live. They've been one of the, just a fantastic live. They're not the tightest live band, but they're just great. You know, they're just great performers great energy great yeah. songs they never you know so they're well, always their great set live. is usually like 80 percent black album and backwards you know right they know exactly. that fans don't want to hear anything off of same anger <laughs> or right. you know load Thank or reload or whatever you know so to be might- fair when those came out the load albums i was like ah oh, god ugh. i remember when the until it sleeps video came out and i was like it was a weird video and the guitar solo sucked you know and, and i was so disappointed I love about half that album. I think it's a pretty decent album. I think sonically, it's a great album. Um, like, really, how, so- how do you turn this thing off? <laughs> you're one of those. I, you're one of those. I checked out after Black album. It's, hey, I don't blame you at all, dude. So I'll give I checked credit out when the Black album came out. When I heard oh, no. Inner Sandman, I checked out. Okay, I, now I, now I, I, I listen to, to about fifty percent of the Black album. So the Black Album, okay, so let's throw away Inner Sandman, which was played into the ground. Unforgiven. And, you know, Unforgiven fair, I can, was played, I think, way more. Played into the ground. Great song, though. Great, you know, the way we can, uh, oh, yeah, sell, like out, sell out preppy boys listening to nothing. I remember me and Dave back in high school, like, oh, yeah, now you're listening to Metallica Poser. <laughs> We're the real man. Well, yeah, you know? Exactly. And Fucking I had the same man, thing, you know? When the Black Album came out, and all of a sudden, all these kids that hated me and my metalhead friends right. were like, Oh yeah, now we're we got we we're like nothing you, else man. matters to Metallica. Yeah, you listen to that like, new band Metallica. Listen, <laughs> nothing else. Oh, I remember that. I remember going to my, our first concert. Me and Dave went to see. Oh, it was fucking amazing. Uh, Metallica, uh, Guns N' Roses, and Faith No More. And to this day, three of my favorite bands still. I mean, huge, huge influence for me. I mean, Slash is I could pretty much cite as the reason I started playing guitar. Appetite for Destruction. And then Metallica and, you know, got into all that stuff. And those are still just like massive, massive influences. Great, amazing fucking concert. But we went with this total fucking tool who turned out to be a fucking psychopath later on in life. I won't go down that road. But this guy that we went in high school with, like every all the chicks wanted to fuck him because he looked like vanilla ice. This is dating things, right? Like he just was looked like such a douchebag. But for some dumb reason. 
we hung out with this guy and, and we went to see this concert with him. And, um, I, he, he was the, I mean, I remember they opened with creeping death and I jumped up on the fucking chair and got my foot stuck nice. in the folding chair at the Astrodome was moshing and going crazy. And so then as a joke, when they were playing, when guns and roses, uh, ended up closing that night and came on and they were playing, don't cry. I was like, Oh, we should mosh in that. And straight up this dude was like, that was the one song he was like rocking out to. I'm like, you fucking poser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But was that the one, dude? Are you a big? Oh, go ahead. No, no I was no, going to no, ask. Ahead. Was that the dude with the with the girlfriend that looked like a a Canadian musician? <laughs> no, no, that was. Oh man, our our what was that? Our second pod. So the third <laughs> podcast, we talked with my old buddy, and uh, we used to know this guy in high school who's like older than us, and we kind of looked up to him, but he was kind of a douche, and and uh, we tried to jam with him once, and he was just kind of a douche, but he was a huge Steve Harris Iron Maiden fan. And then, then the end of the podcast ended up being this whole thing about us talking about his not so pretty girlfriend who looked like a what was it what was, uh, looked like a, a short a short <laughs> Yeti Lee. <laughs> uh, anyway, poor yeah. girl. Um, I was going to ask if you were a Megadeth fan, man. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh for sure. Absolutely. In my opinion, where where Metallica fell short in the '90s and started kind of. Because <clears throat> you know, I like load pretty well. Reload, eh? Saint Anger, garbage. I, honestly, I wasn't super into um. What was the neck? What was that album they put out Death, in two thousand eight? Magnetic. Yeah, mm, it's all right. It's it just sounded I mean, so horrible. It's it's a garbage. I mean, it's sl- it's yeah, you it's know, like clipping, man. It's terrible. They finally fixed it with that latest one, which is okay. I'm I not think the latest one's fan. the best thing. Yeah, it's the best thing they've done since load, in my opinion. It's it's definitely I mean, at least sonically it sounds like a metal band again and it sounds like they were trying to put out yeah. a good album. Well yeah, and I feel like the songs are a little more cohesive. Like uh, to me, Death Magnetic, there's good moments on that album, maybe a good song or two, I don't know it super well. But like I just feel like they were trying to go back and maybe that's what Rick Rubin did and they were like, You gotta get back to your injustice and all that and it just I felt like that album was like and now we're gonna take this riff for master puppets and then we're gonna throw the it's just sounded like a bunch of riffs crammed together right it didn't really make a lot of sense to me i didn't think the songs were cohesive and great well personally. What, what bugs me the most about like the recent two metallic albums i guess death magnetic the sound too but i mean they have robert trujillo on bass now mm-hmm. who is a magnificent awesome. bass player the guy is truly talented and a classical guitar anything yeah that guy's just a beast exactly just all around excellent musician mm-hmm. i was a huge fan of infectious mm-hmm. grooves suicidal, suicidal back in the day yeah suicidal. i saw metallica and suicidal opened up in 96 yeah. yeah right amazing stuff now how many cool bass licks are on the last two metallica albums mm-hmm. yeah where are those mo- you're right where are those moments where are those like okay back to the black album right i think like we can you know, we don't throw out Inner Salmon and I think they're all great songs. I pretty much like every song on that album. But like, let's say let's get rid of the the hits that were played into the ground and then go, man, stuff like My Friend of Misery that is a fucking great song. You know, mm-hmm. God that failed. I mean, they finally let let um Newstead the Newstead, Newstead shine on that yeah. on that album. And, yeah, and, and he had some moments, right? Really great Maybe stuff, not like as deep as Cliff would have. Mm-hmm. But then again, as much as I love Newstead, and I think I still think he is, you know, since we can't have Cliff, he is the basis for Metallica, not mm-hmm. Trujillo. As much as I admire him as a person, as a musician, I think Newstead will always be the better fit. But Tr- Newstead is not the most 
technical crazy bass player. The first time I saw Metallica live was on the on Justice Tour. Unfortunately, I just missed the whole Cliff thing. And they had him play. I don't know if they forced him to, but <laughs> he played the whole anesthesia thing. Oh wow! And it just didn't sit right with me. I mean, yeah. he pulled it off, but it 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 wasn't. It just didn't work for him. Yeah. Next time I saw him on the tour right after that, and they just cut that whole thing out. Because Newstead is not that bass player. He's not right. like the lead bass player. He is an incredibly strong, rhythmic. Uh, if you've ever listened to the isolated tracks from Injustice for All that you can't hear on the record, oh, yeah. he is just fantastic. What a He's shame. Tight. What oh, a shame. Because it's, it's ultimate, ultimate shame. And, and I have they, heard. I've heard it said like, and I thought this was kind of a cool comment. This was from from Rom, um, drummer I played with uh, many, uh, well, with my band for years. Um, just a fantastic drummer here in Austin. But um, the he one time we were talking about injustice and that whole bass tragedy. He's like, oh, I love that album though. He's like, because it's so unique and so different. And that kind of back to Metallica trying different stuff. Now I think they probably did that because they were like, "Fuck you, new guy. You're not Cliff." You know what I mean? And but and so. Now it to what Rom said is kind of a cool, you know, thought is it isn't a unique album. I mean, an album with no goddamn bass essentially. I mean, and it's just None. guitars up your ass, rhythm guitars, the t- tight everything, precision, precision, precision. It's got its very unique sonic quality. But yeah, I mean, to be why why even have Newstead play on the fucking thing? You know, think about all the time that guy had to practice that shit. At, ugh. I'd quit fucking Metallica too. I say that now. I mean, would you really quit Metallica? <laughs> no, nobody he quits got, Metallica unless he got pretty know, mistreated have, from what I heard. He quit when he had enough money. I don't think yeah. he'd quit because of the money. You know, I think it was a genuine decision, but if you, if he would have quit after injustice, then there goes your career. Yeah. But you know what with, and he did the black album and he did the load stuff and to, with Jason Newstead, if you think about it, I, I kind of don't blame him. I mean, I don't know the details of it, but I mean, if you're in this band that you looked up to, like who didn't look up to Metallica, who didn't love Metallica, right? And you are the guy of all these great musicians that audition, like you said, and a really great fit, a really great choice, because, you know, everybody knows Les Claypool and these various guys audition. Not great, great, great musicians. It's almost like some stuff like that. You're like, well, thank God. Thank God Les Claypool didn't play with Metallica because look at all the great shit he's done. That's yep. his. Same with the best thing that ever happened Metallica was, or, or Dave Mustaine was getting kicked out of Metallica because now right. we have two great bands. And personally, I like Megadeth even better post-Black mm-hmm. oh, Album. Rest yeah. in I think Peace came out that where, time, but, too. Dude, but, yeah, it came out before the Black Album. And where album. Metallica sort of left off, and a lot of people would say the Black Album or certainly afterwards, like in terms of the old Metallica, that's where fucking Dave Mustaine just took the reins. And I mean, I, even the stuff that he did in, uh, I love peace cells, you know, I love that album. First one's okay. I'm not a big, uh, personally a big fan of, uh, so far so good. So what sonically it's terrible. And I just think it personally, I think it's their weakest album, but yeah, rust in peace, the whole Friedman, Nick Menza era, everything they did then. And even like when, when Megadeth to me fell short or tried something different, I still think it was, exponentially better than metallica's flops like i actually think risk is a cool album it's different it's poppy it's not megadeth megadeth rust in peace but mustaine i always think did a good job if you did that and then he'd come back out and do something like 13 or what was that heaviest fuck album with uh chris uh broderick um united abominations no that's the one megadeth album i'm not super familiar with um fuck what is keep going keep going 
I can't, I, I know. I, I got to look it up now, but, um, but yeah, I don't, it even like super collider was kind of poppy and I finally checked that out and I dug it. I, there's really no D- Megadeth album that I'm appalled by. You know what I mean? Whereas Metallica, you're just like, Oh, for God's sake, I, it's unlistenable, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. No, I think Dave Mustaine kept that, you know, torch going. And I think Slayer too, to an extent, but that's because I don't think Slayer could sell out. It's impossible. They, with that style, there's no way. Yeah, I mean, they're the ACDC of metal. They're going to give you the same thing, and you're going to yeah, love it. Exactly, and that's what we want from Slayer. And luckily, they stuck with that, and my hats off to them. Yeah, if Slayer did a Pink Floyd. Slayer could cover Dark Side of the Moon, it wouldn't matter. Their fans would boo and throw shit at them and want them killed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, well, as it switch- should be. Let's switch to Maiden, and, 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 and Vic, I'll shut my mouth for five minutes and let you guys talk Maiden here while I <laughs> Google Megadeth discography. What's your favorite yeah. Maiden albums, man? That's a tough one. There's a, a, The first one I heard was Peace of Mind. Mm. So I think I might have to stick with that, but it's really tough because, I mean, I love the first two albums, yeah. too. Uh Power Slave, of course, is amazing. Uh, Number of the Beast. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to pick a favorite. But since that's the first full Maiden album I heard, I mean, I've, I saw them on TV before that, you know, the, the videos they did, which, by the way, Maiden always has the worst fucking music videos. <laughs> Probably because they don't care about music videos and MTV and all that. But they're just the dumbest videos. <laughs> they are (laughs) just and i mean i say this lovingly because they're one of my favorite bands in the world and you know every time i see them live they still blow me away they're just fantastic they are great live and that's good for them they they don't really need the visual stuff in them and they've got they've got the great sets and the great visual stuff that iconic artwork that kind of stuff just like megadeth you know and but they're so good live. Yeah. And I just like with any great band, Metallica, all those guys, it's like they fucking are, they've been consistently great live for so many, you know, 30, 40. God damn. When did, when did Iron Maiden start? Late seventies? Yeah. Yeah. Their first album is 1980, but I think officially they started in 76. So is their first album kill no, killers? Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden self. Yeah. Oh, then and killers then, in there. An album yeah, called killers, that's the second killers. One. And then, and then peace of mind, Remember right? Number, yeah. when was peace of mind that's the fourth that's one. the fourth one okay and then Not after counting that any live albums or singles that's right the right studio and so then after that there was somewhere power in slave. time or power yeah. slave and then somewhere and then in time, somewhere in time. Yep. okay oh. yeah dude even before i ever listened to it maiden and i've said this over and over on the podcast vic knows all about this <laughs> i was like i was uh you know in the unfortunate it, when the in the 80s when i started getting into metal and it was like everyone was like metal satanic and kids kill themselves because of metal and you know <laughs> tipper gore was busy being a cunt and all that stuff but like it, it like back then you know i was like oh maiden they said the six six you know whatever and i i it, but i think it's like even as a kid even if you're like i don't know what if i like this or what it is but the artwork was so captivating right it for nothing oh the reason it stuck in your mind and you knew about oh, that their artwork was just so fucking cool the before best. i even ever listened to their music i just remember seeing those album covers and being like wow that's badass you know oh yeah the first metal t-shirt i had was an Iron Maiden shirt. The first back patch for my, you know, vest I had was <laughs> yeah. an Iron Maiden patch because they had Eddie. There yeah. is in in I'm I would say any genre, there is no cooler mascot for any band 
than Eddie. And then yeah. live, when you see them live, when they have those huge Eddies yeah. and they have like all these different ones and they battle with Eddie and it's, I mean, seriously, it doesn't get better than that. Vic, did you go to that concert at the 360 track when they played in Megadeth opened five? I don't know how many years ago oh, that it's was. It's been now. a while. It's, uh, yeah. When was it? 2013? God, is it been so. that long? Because Yuri, yeah, we, we're talking about it with Yuri, but yeah, yeah. So the 360 amphitheater right, the, yeah. in Coda, right? So, and they had yeah. the. Uh, and did you they see had them? The classic uh, Seventh Sunset, Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Well, that, that was what was so nice. cool. They kept changing out their mm-hmm. sets, right? Yeah. They had a lot of different. And then when they yeah. did Seventh Son, they had the whole. Big, they, the whole yeah, big they got thing. into. It's really cool because probably 2000, uh, 2007. 2007 2008 they did um somewhere back on tour and so they played yeah i missed they that played one. all the classic oh. they broke out the power slave set they still had that set and so they broke out like the uh the live after death set list and that's that's all they jammed to and then the the tour that we saw i actually saw them in seattle like a few months prior and it's this you know the seventh sun set so it's the newer it's like post power slave right so yeah but they broke out all the old sets it was really cool i wanted to see them they came through again they played san antonio, san antonio was, right uh yeah. two years ago pre uh, like 2019 i think yeah yeah i saw him on that tour i saw him in vegas and man yeah i missed that one just I, I wanted to go to that one so bad <laughs> they just never i mean the thing that amazes me, you know, you go see Priest live, uh, they're still amazing, but they tune down or play mm. songs in different keys because right. you know, Rob's getting older. That's normal. He can't hit those ho- notes anymore. Uh, when Led Zeppelin did their reunion, they had to like tune down because Robert Plant can't hit those notes anymore. With Maiden, I checked when I saw him live because I took mm. some video and went home. It's like, I don't have perfect pitch. So, and I was A beat it with the songs. All those songs are still in the original key, and he still hits those freaking yeah. notes. And like runs around like a badass, like dude. And like, the just... last tour, he ran, runs around like a badass and has flamethrowers. Not <laughs> one, two, one in each hand. He's running around, belting his brains out, and shooting flamethrowers. I, I think that tour was his post-cancer tour yeah. right like yeah because oh, yeah, yeah like throat cancer yeah. it was announced or something and then they did that tour wow. afterwards like after he recovered so and then he flies the plane and he still <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly and, and he flies, flies the band the around yeah i mean is there anything this man can't do he, he just wrote a book <laughs> so i guess not yeah he directed yeah. a movie he was doing a book tour so i i don't know if that it probably got postponed with covid but he was he was going yeah. around talk and it's basically a book of of you know him growing up and influences and things like that but it's just him just providing commentary on the book so hopefully that picks up again i want to go check it out yeah and an olympic fencer too he was <laughs> yeah, that's right he, yeah he didn't go i think because they were doing the original uh seven sun tour but i think it was 1988 he was picked for the british olympic fencing yeah. team so ridiculous man it's insane amazing i mean i always think of those guys like iron maiden and rush are always the two bands that come to mind 
when they play like rock, the rock and Rio and stuff and they just play for like a million fucking people in South America. It's just insane. Yeah. You know, well, it's funny, you know, we, There's we so mentioned huge. Scotty and Charlie, you know, Metallica. And like, I think I've seen like, uh, you know, just random videos where they're like, Hey, you know, what, what albums are you listening to? Or they find them in a record store. What are you picking up? And they're like, well, I found this, you know, original print or whatever of killers or, you know, or, or they'll say they'll mention like one of the Iron Maiden albums that they just listen to over and over again. So huge, huge influence on a lot of these other bands too. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know what you're talking about. I think I saw one, um, they do that, that here, that Amoeba record store that they have here in Hollywood, what's in your bag. And they had one with James Hetfield and he had the first Iron Maiden yeah. record because he had worn his copy out or something <laughs> or whatever. But I, all those, those first guys. two albums had just a, a, a touch of punk to them, and they're so cool. And Paul Diano just oh, brings a different it. style to it. I, I really like those albums too. And then Bruce Dickinson comes in in the third album, and he just it just doesn't stop. So <laughs> no, he just blows everybody away. Now the I'm I'm a huge Paul Diano fan too, and I never really got into Bruce Dickinson singing the Paul Diano's songs. Not that he's not a good vocalist. Obviously he's an amazing vocalist, but you know, it sounds better with Paul. And of course, Paul could not have pulled off anything that, you know, Bruce did on power slave or number of the beast. So it's, it's always a tough one, but I love both those things. Yeah. I wasn't a huge blaze Bailey fan, but I don't think anyone was. He was just how many albums? Between. How many albums do they do with two? Him? Yeah. Two. Uh, two. Yeah. They're still good albums, but he was just not the right singer. I don't even dislike him as a singer because in that band he was in before, um, I forget what they were called. He was pretty good, but he just didn't, to me, it's all, I mean, being the singer for Maiden, I mean, come on, those are shoes too big yeah, to fill. That's true. Yeah. You know what was the weirdest singer replacement still? It kind of makes sense because of the vocal stylings and the high rasp, but when Axl Rose took over for ACDC, that was so oh, yeah. odd. It was so funny how Axl Rose like disappeared for a thousand years and then came out with Chinese Democracy and, and Guns N' Roses actually started touring. Actually, no, I guess that was after that because then the, the Slash and Duff, they had the reunion. They started doing that stuff, and Axl started singing for ACDC. He was yeah. like biggest rock star in the fucking world you know, for know. a couple years there. And for the longest time, I'm like, no, that's not right. He should not be singing for ACDC. I yeah, don't want to listen to it. And then I listened to it, and I was it's like, not bad. <laughs> it works. Yeah, it I mean, it, works. it does. It does make sense from it's a weird. The vocal styling. It's kind of similar to Brian, Brian Johnson. Johnson. Is you know they're back. all back. Yeah, and they sound fantastic. Those new songs mm -hmm. that you know. Or oh yeah, album. yeah, it's good. It's really good. But um, yeah, the Axl Rose thing was just weird. But weirdly enough, it. To me, it kind of worked. Like, yeah, he pulling it off. What? He what probably, is your... It's probably the only thing, only shows he ever showed up for on, on time. time. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, he probably the, the stuff is already there for him. He just shows up and sings. But uh, I, right. I mean, singer replacements. The one I really liked was John Bush, the Anthrax. Mm -hmm. You know, awesome. Was that only that one album? Though? No, he no three. Did four. They do no, he did four oh. albums, I think. God damn! Yeah, really, I just remember sound, sound of white, white noise. noise. Um, it's the the album with I kind of like stop falling. Four, 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 two, volume eight, 
after that. Volume, Volume eight, eight, we've come for you all. Come for you all. Yeah, it's four albums. I think that's yeah. four. Yeah, I think there's a Vol- couple. See, I I never cared for John Bush in Anthrax. I think he's a great Armored singer, Saint. and I love yeah. Armored Saint. Hell, but he almost me, sang for Metallica. The audition, I think they yeah. even auditioned him for Metallica. They, they, asked, they asked him. He said oh, no. They asked him. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Because Armored Saint was a little bit bigger when Metallica started. They were already like an established local LA band. So, mm-hmm. And James, I guess, didn't want to sing. And I guess Dave didn't want to sing. So they asked him and he said no because his band was taking off. Like one of those decisions that he probably still beats himself up about. <laughs> that must be the worst. <laughs> He probably yeah. will never admit to it, but he's yeah. like, fuck, I should have said yes to those Metallica guys. <laughs> yeah, but who um, knows? You know, would it all, all panned out the same? True. Who knows? Yeah, you know, exactly. so it, it's, knows? it's like with Dave Mustaine, what would have happened? Yeah, I don't know. I think some things are inevitable, right? It was just inevitable. Yeah. When you've got two guys that strong, like they're going to, which is weird, though, because you all, that's almost always the dynamic, right? I mean, it ended up being James and Lars. And maybe it was like those two. There was just not enough room for the third, right? Because you've always no. got. The, the the Gilmore Waters and the Lennon McCartney, right? You all, so many times mm-hmm. you have that sort of nucleus duo. Uh, sure, Elson yeah. and, and you know, well, I don't know. I guess he's uh, instrumental somewhat. He's written some stuff, so I guess he's pretty pretty relevant. I mean, he's been there pretty much the entire time with Mustaine, minus whenever they had that weird little falling out and sued the shit out yeah. of each other and all that for a few years there yeah when mustang <laughs> supposedly had like a pinched nerve and couldn't play for like a year or two it was so weird yeah i remember I that and then they came out i don't know if that was before or after uh the system has failed came out and that's when chris uh um uh, poland? poland came back and played lead yeah. on that album yeah with vinnie cayuda on drums oh wow okay yeah what is the weirdest yeah. thing but it then is. again you know chris poland and gar samuelson were fusion guys when they joined megadeth so i guess in that way it makes sense i actually think that's one thing that i think that's one thing that has made megadeth so cool over the years is the fact that they missed those i don't know why that happened that way or they were conscious choices with that mustaine made or or what the deal was with these getting those kind of players right because freeman too is even though the whole what was it called drag what was his thing called uh dragon's kiss and the stuff he did with uh mm-hmm. jason Becker was yeah cacophony right and you know that's metal and classical bass but he also has a like marty freeman's one of those guys that he loves all this like you know uh worldly japan japanese music or yeah. whatever japanese pop he loves 50s pop like a lot of his stuff and then his style was so different and chris poland's style is so different and so recognizable i think dave mustaine got did great with those guys because they just have such they brought such a unique element to it could have just been a very sterile normal like sterile normal metal thing right like mm-hmm. carrie king would not work in megadeth and someone trying to play melody would not work in slayer <laughs> so it's right. just but it really made i think those guitar player choices and drummers too made megadeth make, gave them that interesting color one of the megadeth I, like again i like all their albums but like world needs a hero once they came i think that was after risk and it's like that album to me just felt a little sterile with the players right it kind of lost the magic of the friedman menza Mm-hmm. I thought. I think it's hard too for those guys because I mean, how many albums does Megadeth have? Oh, they God. put out 14, so 15. many albums. You can't always hit the jackpot, you know. So mm-hmm. I, you know, I forgive them more than I forgive Metallica for right, their. Right, they've never totally missteps. flopped. Yeah, they've never exactly. totally flopped. You know, they like you said earlier, they try some new things, but musicianship is always there, and 
the the great thing about David Mustaine is he's always pissed off and he's never not going to be pissed off. Yeah. So he's got, you know, till the day he dies, he will be able to write good pissed yeah. off Megadeth riffs. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think he's one of those guys too. I think he is a, 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 a great, I think he writes great, great melodies, you know, I mean, you never thought of Megadeth in there in, you know, from, from maybe like the rest in peace, kind of thing but count all that stuff in the night almost everything he's done you know and all that stuff in the 90s in particular just melodic as fuck dude just mm-hmm. great great hooks great vocal right. lines great melodies yeah so, they're one of my absolute looks favorites like 15 studio albums with a new one coming out this year wow see metallica can't say yeah. that. no i mean megadeth I is think- like religiously every two years there's a fucking album man yeah they're workhorses man and more power to them like Zach Wild, that dude is a beast. He's always fucking shitting out albums, man. Yep. Ozzy's another one, obviously, who's just got great sensibility with picking guitar players and yeah. Randy and Jakey Lee and Zach. Just yep. G temporary. I don't know who the hell plays guitar for Ozzy now. Do you know? Mm. Well, technically it's that guy that he that produced his last album, right? Because it was Oh yeah, uh, Chad Smith and Duff McKagan, and then that guy—I forget his name—the producer guy. I think he produced the album wow. and played guitar. I'm so ashamed and out of the loop that I didn't even know that. Like he had Duff McKagan and Chad Smith on his album. Huh. Yeah, on the last wow. Ozzy solo album, which I do not recommend. It's not good. Uh, it does seem which, like a—it's an interesting combo there. Well, give it a less uh, a listen. Yeah, I'll check I'm, it out. I'm, I'm not a fan. It's 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 not. I mean, it's a little I, more laid back. Ozzy's getting old. Like he's got a lot of ballads. I don't, you know, I don't mind if he does ballads or not. It's just not. It doesn't sound like Ozzy. You know, to me, Ozzy, the band Ozzy had a certain style, which they kind of ditched after uh what's the album after no more tears osmosis osmosis Osmosis, yeah that's when i kind of ditched that style because the guy that was behind that style was no longer welcome to play in the band right bob daisley the bass player Mm. he's behind all of that he is Mm. you know because randy was on the first two albums but he died and then they had a different guitar player almost every album different drummer almost every album the only two con- consistent parts were ozzy osbourne who doesn't write a lick of music he doesn't play an instrument doesn't even write lyrics and bob daisley who wrote all the lyrics for all the ozzy albums wow up to and including I didn't uh, know that. yeah uh but no I knew Geezer tears. wrote all the Sabbath stuff or a, a huge yeah. chunk of the Sabbath. And Ozzy's just Ozzy, the melody. Ozzy's the Ozzy, melody. He's like the Elton comes, John, but he doesn't play piano. Looks exactly. like Geezer's yeah. listed. He comes up with melodies. Yeah, Leezer, Geezer writes yeah. all or wrote all the lyrics for the Ozzy stuff. Mm-hmm. Ozzy will come up with a line, you know, and then probably do some lines. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and apparently he's great at coming up with vocal melodies. Uh-huh. That's what he does. And then Everybody else does everything. So the music wow. was written by, you know, the first two albums, Randy Rose Randy. and Bob Daisley. Uh, <clears throat> third album, Bob Daisley and Jakey Lee. Uh, then Bob Daisley and Jakey Lee again and Phil Sassan a little bit. And then it, No Rest for the Wicked, Zach Wilde came in. The music was written by Bob Daisley and Zach Wilde. Uh, yeah. No More Tears, Bob yeah, Daisley and Zach Wilde. 
Osmosis, Bob Daisley and Steve Vai wrote an entire record. Wow, I knew Steve Vai wrote Little, I think it's called, not Little Guitars, it's little called man. Uh, Little Man, which is a really yeah. cool song, and you can tell that's, that's Vi all the way. That's that, the only thing that's left, because Vi was supposed to play guitar on that album, too. It uh -huh. was supposed to be Dean Castronovo on drums, um, Steve Vai on guitar, Bob Daisley on bass. But uh, Mrs. Steve Vai and Mrs. Ozzy didn't get along, mm -hmm. so Steve Vai got... Um, that's so fired. weird. So, and Bob Daisley had the audacity to ask to get paid, so he got fired too. Oh, of course. Well, and then that's when they redid everything, right? Then they yeah. shit can him on all the recordings, which is so fucked all up. All the recordings were. I mean, Bob Daisley still has the demos, but those recordings were trashed, and they got. Um, it's really a shame. Wild back in and uh, wrote that album, and I still like that album. There's nothing wrong with that album. It's a great album. But which one? I would have Osmosis. Um, Osmosis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to hear have heard uh, Osmosis with Steve I. I did not know. I'm googling this right now. I knew he wrote that one song. I didn't realize he wrote, yeah, a bunch of other shit on yeah, that. I'm looking album. like Geezer's on here. Bob Daisley's not listed at all. Lemmy's no. on here. Yeah. Bob, oh Bob yeah, Daisley they did was a lot of collaborations cut from the record. And the songs so that up. him and Steve wrote together were all ditched too. Well, yeah, so he has no credit on that album. That's the first Ozzy album that Bob Daisley did not contribute to, even though he wrote a whole album, but that was trash. Now, wow. Zach. Remember that killer? No, I was just going to mention Zach was on the studio album, but it was somebody else touring, right? Playing guitar. Joe, Joe Holmes. Holmes. Yep. Joe Holmes strat guy. Yeah. I actually, that was, yep. uh, that might've been the first time I saw Ozzy was, was Joe Holmes. And yeah. then, not John Holmes. I always not John get those Holmes. too confused, but John I don't know if John, Mr. John that's, Holmes plays. That's not the metal guitar. church guy, right? It's... No, that's the, the classic porn guy. <laughs> he, yeah. He, uh, Boogie night <laughs> served up the, what they, what they call it? The, the flesh flute or some <laughs> shit on uh there's a uh, skin flute skin flute there you go <laughs> um oh remember that i was gonna say remember they put you know there's so many live uh and actually a lot of them are really cool there's the um when i think it was after no rest for the wicked yeah because miracle man's on there and live version of shot in the dark which is just fucking sick just say ozzy it's like only six songs killer mm -hmm. live ep mm -hmm. and then they did a whole big double disc or something after no more tears like every other fucking after every album they put out a live album or some compilation greatest hits some of my favorite shit though like randy road tribute that's one of my favorite albums i think the mm -hmm. playing on that album just slays it's amazing yeah. and yeah. um and then they did that thing i think it was a greatest hits album with a couple one or two new tracks remember that song back on earth it had a fucking awesome video too with like footage from nosferatu and it was all creepy old school kind of yeah, right great I song about that yeah yeah you're right yeah yeah and after that was I think the next record was da Down to Earth, maybe, which had some good stuff, but it was a little more mellow. That was and then I kind of lost Trujillo, track. I think. Yeah, Trujillo. well, I was going to say that earlier. So you had Mike Trujillo. Bourne. Yep. Yeah, dude, and Mike Bourne. I mean, I'm huge, I, I was saying huge Faith No More fan. So that's when I finally saw Ozzy was the lineup that I saw. Me too. That's the first time I ever saw Ozzy. For and I love that rhythm I section. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. And Zach Wilde on guitar. Yeah. Trujillo on bass. Mike Borden on drums. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I saw. I forgot Borden was with them. I don't yeah. know if it was an actual official Ozfest or just an Aussie show, but I saw Ozzy. So I, it was Sepultura opened, then Typo Negative was the first time I'd ever seen or heard of Typo Negative, and I was kind of like, you know, it's a new band. You're kind of listening casually, whatever. And then they played Black Number One, and I was just like, 
this is really fucking cool and ended up super getting into typo after that and then ozzy came on and that was the lineup um unless it was joe holmes at that point then but i did i did see them like you twice a year i feel like it was 96 that's about right the first time mm-hmm. Might have been Joe Holmes. I right. saw him with that lineup with Zach Wild in like 2001. So Zach was already back. All right. Again. So that's when I would have seen. I guess I saw. It feels like it was sooner than that, but I saw him a couple of times, and I saw him way later with Zach Wild. It was a pretty bad show. Ozzy's Ozzy's vocals were really thrashed, and you're kind of like, well, we all love you, and we know, we understand, and he yeah. just couldn't sing to save his life. Ozzy but, gets, gets a pass. Yeah, he gets a pass. You know, because um, even so, like if you listen to like live versions of like 70 sabbath you know half of the time he sings like shit too yeah there was something so raw and cool about that though that you can give a fuck like even their first album was done in a day it's insane it's just crazy yeah. like pretty eight fucking hours cool. right on like a eight track in crazy yeah crazy just boom knocked out the music i think ozzy did two passes you know doubled the vocals and it was just like there's a record um yeah. The oh so who when Joe Holmes was playing then in '96 who was the rhythm section then was that 96. so that was before yeah probably because I bet Borden was after Faith No More disbanded in '98 right so yeah so with the Joe Holmes thing that was was that still probably, Randy Castillo or was he did he had, had he already passed away I think it might have been Dean Castronovo maybe on drums and on bass Geezer shit maybe maybe you're right shit it might have been geezer butler maybe yeah. i don't know if because geezer plays on the record but i don't know if he toured i know with no rest for the wicked he toured a little bit with ozzy what about mike, Randy. mike Inez? did he maybe do it because he played on no more tears record didn't he no no he gets he, credit bob daly right wow. as i could have sworn See, i always thought he played on that fucking record because he's in the video oh so everybody thought that and you know the aussie camp and i'm not saying anything against aussie that's all sharon they hate bob daisley but they kept asking him back you know because he had that sound he could Mm -hmm. but they always tried to like not have him live too much not have him in videos too much you know just kind of keep him on the down low so Mike Inez, who's also an amazing bass player, but did not play a lick on No More Tears. Yeah, he's got I a think, writing credit for that song. I guess that's why yeah, he's in I that video. Yeah, I think he came up with that. You right. know, it's like, okay, wow. you wrote three notes. Good for you, buddy. But like I said, <laughs> Mike Inez, I think, is a fantastic bass player. Please. And apparently he's a really nice guy, too. He Never is a really guy. nice guy. He, I, I actually met him. I think uh, two, like two years ago. He's really, really cool. The, the, um, yeah. I'm looking at personnel: Ozzy Zach, Randy Castillo. Um, oh yeah, John Sinclair, right? The unsung keyboard hero, right? Bob oh, Daisley yeah. and Mike Inez. It says bass inspiration and musical yeah. direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just that riff he came up with, and then you know Bob Daisley took it. Wow, from man, that's what? What's the beef? Do you know the story with why they fucking hate Bob Daisley? What the hell's up with that? Give me one second and I'll explain. I, I need I need like a prop ah. to do that. Cool. Oh, okay. One second. That might have been three seconds, but check this out. If this is a book, this is Bob Daisley's 
biography, I guess, mm-hmm. for fact's sake. Now, Bob Daisley kept a journal from 1978, I think, or like somewhere in the 70s when he joined Rainbow, all throughout the Aussie days. He was never an alcoholic or a drug addict, so he remembers everything. And even in this book, <laughs> Aussie he has remembers like, nothing. Uh, nothing. But so. Watching anyway. Ozzy watch his old videos is so funny because he's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> so that book, he even has pictures of contracts in, in there and everything. Oh, wow. But, so Smart the, beef, the beef started. It, it, it's all sharing. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, it's all sharing. It's easy to blame the manager, but you know, it, this is all sharing. When the Blizzard of Oz became a band, right? This is a band, not Ozzy solo. When the Blizzard of Oz was put together by Randy Rhodes, Bob Daisley, and Ozzy, they needed management. So they went to their old Sabbath management, which was Don Sharon, Arden. Sharon's dad, right? Sharon's dad. Right. Um, Don Arden was like, I can't work uh, with you because I've got all these other things to do, but I'll have my son. I think his name is Peter or David. Anyway, my son will take care of you guys. Um, but David was, I think it's David, was busy too. So he's like, okay, my daughter will take care of you guys, Sharon. And Sharon listened to the demos and took one look at the band and said, no, these guys, I don't want to have anything to do with it. They're not going to go anywhere. This is not going to make anything. I don't want to do it. Give it to David. So David Arden became the manager. They recorded their first album, released it, went on one tour, huge hit record, tour successful. Sharon goes to daddy and says, daddy, give me Ozzy. Literally. And of course, Sharon, uh, being Sharon, she got what she wanted. (laughs) Uh, So she started managing Ozzy. But for her, that wasn't enough. Ozzy at the time was married to another woman. And Sharon was like, well, if I get this guy like completely under my control, then I can milk him for all he's worth because he was a mess back then, right? Early Mm -hmm. 80s, complete mess. Mm -hmm. So she was, she being the master manipulator was like, I'm going to get my claws into him. And Ozzy even, it, it says so in the biography, told Bob Daisley, don't let Sharon get her claws into me. I don't want to have anything to do with that woman. And of course, Sharon breaks up the marriage, marriage, marriage uh, marries Ozzy, and the rest is history. And of course, Bob Daisley, being a good friend of Ozzy, keeps helping him out. Even after he gets fired, because, you know, Bob Daisley and the drummer Lee Kerslake weren't, because they saw the whole thing happen right in front of their eyes, weren't exactly in the Sharon camp, so they got fired. Um, but since Bob and Ozzy were such great friends, he kept coming back, but he kept not getting paid. You know, so he records bass, he writes songs and writes lyrics and never gets paid. So he decided to sue Sharon for royalties mm. um, and gets daddy involved, Don Arden, who had a big falling out with his daughter and. Um, for years so, so bob daisley got him on her, his side 
Bob Daisley gets daddy on his oh, side wow. for the lawsuit. Wow. So this lawsuit is going to happen. You know, they're going to win it. It's, you know, daddy is taking the stand. You know, the big guy, Don Arden. A week or so before the trial. Now, like I said, Sharon and her dad had had a falling out for years. He had not even seen his own grandkids ever. Wow. Because it was so bad. A week or two before the trial, Sharon calls daddy and is like, daddy, I want to, you know, patch things up <laughs> and you want to see the grandkids and you see where this is going, uh-huh. right? All of a sudden, daddy doesn't want to take the stands, stand oh, wow. against his daughter anymore. Lawsuit falls apart and nobody gets any money. Still after that, Bob works for Ozzy and still doesn't get paid to this day. And the same with Lee Kerslake, the drummer. He died last year or the year before that. And mm-hmm. just to be nice, because he never even got like gold records for the records he played on, right? The Blizzard of Oz and uh, Diary of a Madman. They never mm-hmm. even got that. A couple months before the drummer died, Sharon sent him a gold record. Not even payment for services rendered, mm-hmm. but just the gold records. Like, ah, oh, you're going to croak soon. Here's a gold record. Now go away. Wow. 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 Evil woman. Wow. Um, well, well, look at her now, you know, she's all over mainstream TV, put Ozzy on MTV. (laughs) I mean, but yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, she's going to milk him till he's dead. Oh yeah. No doubt about there's, I mean, yeah, we all know that it's amazing. He's still alive, honestly. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. That was really informative, man. A couple of things. I, I I was thinking Tommy Aldridge had something to do in there. Maybe he toured with Ozzy. Was that was? But he's not on the records. No. Same with Rudy Sarzo. Rudy Sarzo um, was the touring. Yes. I, I always yeah. think of those guys. And it's and you're right. I mean, well, I knew they're on that tribute record, right? And mm-hmm. that's one of the first Ozzy records I got too. That was the rhythm section. Oh yeah, and that record's just so goddamn good, man. It's so yeah, far. they're on even fire. On Diary of a Madman, the the studio album. If you look at the band pictures. It's Rudy Sarzo and Tommy Aldridge. So they just and is that just because they were like fuck these guys? So like, how did that? What yeah. what the hell? I mean, did the did uh? Well, they even went back. You know, you heard about this, right? They, well, they went they back went, and recorded. And I was looking at that, and it was it was Mike Borden and and, and, and Robert Trujillo re-recorded those albums. Yeah, and the fans didn't want that. They didn't no, buy that shit. Literally. I mean, they're like two of my favorite so musicians, and I'm like, I don't want that. It, yeah, but they re-re-released it with the original rhythm tracks bob daisley and lee kerslake and still didn't pay them yeah well and, and <laughs> that's what i would say they've got so many albums and remasters and re-releases and this and that probably more just about more than any band i can think of i mean every time that's an extra buck for you know the, the osborne camp right so well for yeah, sharon. I mean, sharon is all just a <laughs> i mean she is a savage businesswoman there's no question yeah, about it sharon you know? and her dogs genius and, uh, is not i mean but is, you know don arden was an old school east end london well, gangster have you ever so, heard in that? Well, you're right. Oh, same damn. thing with like Zeppelin back in the day, those guys would kick in your door and beat the shit out of you and be like, you're going to book yeah. my fucking band. Like same exactly. with Zeppelin, right? Their manager, like oh, strong yeah. arm people, just a, just a, you know, a great manager to have one. But then he croaked and that was pretty, pretty brutal for him. Right. I think he was, uh, mm-hmm. who else did he, did he manage bad company or something as well? Yeah, probably uh, because no. bad company was on the Led Zeppelin, um, Atlantic label. Yeah. Or oh no, they were on the Swan Song. The Swan, that, when yeah. they yeah, when they did Swan Song, um, they were the second band to be signed to Swan Song. The yeah, first so I bet he was being the detectives that nobody ever heard of, including myself, didn't make it very big. 
I did no. get to jam with their drummer once. Who? Which was the drummer the of The Detectives. Really? Yeah. That was the first band to be signed to Swan Song label. They never went anywhere. Uh, and then the second band was Bad Company, who went yeah. the distance. Did you ever jam Just, with Sarzo? Because I remember he came to MI and did some stuff many, many years no. back. No. I have a little bit of an issue with the one time I know, I don't know if we were talking about the same time, but he came to MI once and played Mr. Crowley mm -hmm. with Steiger. And, you know, the, the, and of course I sat out because that's Rudy Sarzo. That's the bass player who played with Ozzy. I'm, like, mm -hmm. I'm going to sit in the audience and enjoy this. I, however, I was very annoyed. Um, maybe that's just the, the music teacher in me, but, so Mr. Crowley is in the key of D minor. Mm -hmm. The key of D minor has an F natural note in there. He kept playing and not just playing it here and there, like little, but like riding an F sharp, like relentlessly. Like, dude, you played this song five trillion times with Randy Rhodes and Ozzy, and you don't know how to play this song, and you don't hear that this note is bad. It's That's in D minor. F sharp will make it a D major. I am like shocked to hear that. That doesn't make any sense. Unless the only reason I could possibly fathom that was if for some reason he was just like a, a prankster dick that was like, oh, I'm going to do this in my thing. Fuck these people. Serious I don't understand face. what the fuck you would do that. Sharon for. got to him. How can you not? It. Sharon. <laughs> Sharon was like, play this fucking wrong. And, and, so, and then we're going to blame Bob Daisley for it. We'll give you a paycheck. So it's. It's Jesus. really weird. That um, is but bizarre. Obviously, uh, when he was in Ozzy's band, he played it right. So maybe he just didn't do his homework or whatever. It was kind of strange yeah. that such an iconic song with an iconic bass part that you get that key note that's the, literally the difference between major and minor did you get that one wrong? I don't even know why you're writing that fucking note anyway. Then the song is just done. What is it? You know, dun 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 dun, bum, B flap out, da 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 dun dun. You write D. Like, why are you playing either one of those? Why isn't he playing the fucking root note of D? Where's it? Where's he well, droning on that? There's a couple of times. Let me see if I remember it. It's been a while for me too. But, so, I don't know. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, dude, I used to live and die by those songs, man, back yeah, in the day. Yeah, you know, too. like now know, I'm like, I know oh, the main riff, but there's one riff where the F is kind of prominent, and he just kept writing that second oh, fret on that string. I'm like, what are you doing? And <laughs> obviously, I didn't want to say anything afterwards because who the fuck am I? Maybe, maybe he's well, Rudy Sarzo. Maybe he's one of those guys that's gone deaf, you know, like Paul Gilbert or something. He just can't fucking hear because, what's going on, you know? Maybe that's it. No, maybe yeah i mean how could you possibly be at that level and play on those albums and tour with ozzy osbourne and not have ears yeah. like that doesn't make any yeah. sense so that's i'm no. gonna assume that rudy sarzo's got some hearing loss and he didn't put his hearing aid in that day and just also didn't do his homework and right. yikes who knows so that's my that's my rudy sarzo story he's obviously a great bass player and played with some amazing bands who is so you can't I mean, the metal LP was that a metal LPW thing, right? And uh, so, who sang that? Did Sean McPherson sing? At that time, it has to be Sean. Wow, I'd like to hear that. That's interesting. Sean doing Ozzy. Um, who was oh, drums? Well, he did it in his. That might have been. Oh, no, he did. The sh huh? 
It might have been. Oh, Welby. Maybe, maybe it was Welby then. Yeah. Okay. Because there was that. that point? There was a dude for a while. Long. That, you know, that, I guess I don't remember what year that was. I was long gone. I just remember hearing about it. Um, I think. Fuck, I can't remember anymore. Anyway, speaking of MI Musicians Institute, dude, we've had a couple of MI alumni on here. We had Mark Thomas, who's in Nashville now, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lenny J. Mark. Yeah, Lenny. Yeah. yeah, so great catching up with with those guys. Now with those guys, like I knew Lenny. I had sat in with them and had like a, a lesson or something once. I think is how I maybe initially met him. But my brother ended up playing with his band back in the day and and mm-hmm. went to. I just remember they went to Switzerland and stuff like that. And then I had met actually met Mark before I went out there and um and then he hooked up with you know Sean and Dan Hostile Groove and, and they were roommates and that kind of led to when I guess they needed a bass player to my brother getting involved with, with that way back then so I you do you know my brother from back then probably oh of course Eric yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah but I don't know if we ever really talked or hung out much man right I don't I don't yeah, I don't think probably you know in passing probably, in passing yeah but Eric, yeah, I mean, I I used to be over at the the hostile apartment, yeah, fairly, you know, on the the Psychomore Terrace. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. The lip, the, that little teeny fucking elevator, and you're trying mm-hmm. to go down with all that gear. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that was rough. Are you but, in? Um, uh, are you in Hollywood or what part of LA are you in these days? I'm in Hollywood, but I'm in East Hollywood now, so the the other side of the freeway. East Hollywood, so past Vine and the subway station over there? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, almost in Silver Lake. It's uh, oh, yeah, Silver Lake. Kind of on the cusp of uh, Los Feliz. And uh, technically, the neighborhood I live in is Little Armenia. Okay. Is that anywhere near like Thai Town or, or, or anything it's like that or not? Basically, the of? same thing. I see. Okay, cool. So, yeah, a lot of good Thai food over here. Yeah, dude. I've been, I've been uh, over there to eat a lot um back in the day so um am i you went there what around 2000 1997 to 1998 okay and then you've been teaching there for a long what 17 years or something i taught there for 18 years taught so no longer unfortunately no longer okay did the pandemic have anything to do with that or were you just kind of ready to move on Uh, indirectly yeah indirectly yeah, because I was talking to Lenny about it, and he's been going back and forth between Vegas and uh, working in Vegas now. So I had a lot of good things to say about Vegas. I've heard a lot of good things about Vegas popping lately. But uh, And then he's still, I guess, doing the online stuff. So obviously, MI had started doing that, I'm sure, before the pandemic, but that's yeah. a thing now. Well, the, the pandemic happened, and then, of course, I had a lot less uh, hours because mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff I did at MI was all those LPWs and all that, and that was basically done a lot of classes didn't happen anymore um the base department was technically um canceled there is no longer a true base department it's really like one department now uh, vocals keyboards bass and uh, whatever else is just one department uh they fired the department head uh maurice I don't know if you remember Maurice. That does sound familiar. They fired him uh, as department head, but he stayed on as a teacher. And as a consolation prize, they gave him all my hours. So Mm. for the last, I, uh, I worked at MI till the end of last year. And the last two quarters, I basically had no hours. So Mm. this is done. 
Well, that sucks, man. It sounds like it's kind of, I remember going there and shit, you were there before me. I feel like the eighties and nineties was the shit, right? Yeah. And then they expanded and they all that started added all these new programs that became much more commercial. I mean, such as going to be anything, right? That's successful. It's going to grow and expand, yeah, yeah. but it used to be simple. G I T B I T V I T K I T D I T, I guess is what their P I T maybe. And then in the, the R I T, right. And then they got mm-hmm. into all these different facets. And I looked at the website the other day. I'm like, Jesus Christ, like it's a lot of, but i the the idea of putting all the instruments together is gross i don't like that what the fuck? well it's because those departments are so small the student bodies are so small you know is that because because everyone wants to be a dj and a pro tools expert now or what that and of course you know just the, the age of internet especially with bass i mean who needs to go to school and pay mm. you know, thousands of dollars to learn how to play bass I mean, seriously, you know, <laughs> no, 80 I mean, you're, to well, 90% of bass is just going doom, 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 You watch a couple of YouTube videos and you can join a band. All it's right. True. You just made it. You did make a really good fucking point because nowadays, and we had a engineer, Mark Urselli on, on the show uh, a little while back and uh, he was talking about like, yeah, there's no excuse nowadays. You can get on YouTube and learn any kind of, if, if you, you know, for audio back in the day, you had to, in, you had to go to school. You had to intern somewhere to learn the craft and to learn these things. And that was, that was shit. It's so crazy to think back 2000, 20 years ago. It was like, yeah, there was no fucking YouTube. There was no, no. there was like an internet, but it was kind of a new thing. And th- that information was directly relayed from other people. And back then we all had like subscriptions to guitar magazines or we bought mm-hmm. guitar magazines and that's how you learn that shit's yeah. like, I'm not saying it's totally of the past, but everything's online. It's just not what it used to be. Right. No. So that's a really good point. And it's true. It's a very different world and you're able to learn online and especially you can for self-educate. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Especially for bass. I mean, I see it all the time. You know, people take a couple lessons maybe and then they know a couple, you know, they they can do this with uh, this with this hand and mm-hmm. this with that hand, and you're a bass player. Well, that's you a big thing. But, well, here's the thing, right? And I mean, as someone who's taught for years and years, it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a two way street, and it's great when you have a great teacher. So much of that as part of it is just being inspired by somebody, right? Mm-hmm. And then someone who can convey knowledge and really knows how to work with you and where to take. I think that's important on the teachers part but if the student doesn't want to practice or doesn't it doesn't matter like at the end of the day it's like you can learn stuff and be given information and until you go fucking woodshed and practice that information and then actually apply it whether that's recording or on stage one way or another it's pretty much just useless right so yeah that's the big thing you're right you don't it's not so much about like i've i've taken two years worth of lessons well you could take five fucking lessons and practice your ass off and be a badass yeah yeah, it's all about, I tell all my students that, you know, it's like, if you don't, if I give them an exercise, if you don't practice this for like 10 minutes every day, five days a week, you take two days off. If you really gung-ho, you do six days a week. But if you don't do that and you just, you know, before the next lesson, quickly shed it for an hour, it's pointless. You might as well mm-hmm. not do it. You know, consistent practice. And you can find a lot of those things on YouTube or other websites too. But what you can't find, and I think that's where MI or other music schools or sitting down with a teacher is that inspiration or and that you know and motivation. Guidance. Yeah, guidance. inspiration. But mo- yeah, exactly. I do. I do think that is relevant and valuable. So I think, and I think when you get to a higher level, right, or you start broadening your horizons and maybe like if you're going to start, you know, d- dipping your toe in, toe in the jazz pond or something, it's like 
then I think it's really valuable to have those interactions and you don't need them consistently necessary. It's like you take a lesson, you get a lot of new information. You're already speaking the language, so you can kind of take it a lot and then take that home and sort of, you know, work with it for a while. And yeah. I think that, yeah. I think it's great to have mentors and so many guys that I know that are, it's amazing how like world-class players, I mean, Randy Rhodes was a great example, right? That are, they're always hungry for more knowledge and they're taking different lessons from, from different guys. And that's, that's Cliff the mark Burton of, too. who's that up, up till uh, Cliff Burton as well up to oh, yeah, sure. you know, the last tour that he did that he unfortunately passed away on. He, when he was home, when he was not on tour, he took piano lessons every week with the same teacher. Dude, like, can you imagine, like, that's got to be like what heaven is for musicians. Like heaven's got to be something different for everybody. Right. But if you're like a musician, a bass player, a guitar, like that's the whole thing, right? You go up there and all of a sudden there's like what all the things that they never got to be like all of a sudden it's like Cliff Burton and Randy Rose are composing, you know, piano concertos together and shit like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like both of those guys, I think both of those guys would have been doing film scores, you know, oh, that's where they, they would have gone. Yeah, they were both, you could tell that they were expanding, that their knowledge and talent was expanding, that it was about to or just had exploded and then cut off. Well, I think Randy was already kind of like, yeah, this rock, this was, has just been fun, but I don't, I don't think he would have stuck around with Ozzy too long. I, I from what I, I gather, he, he was kind of like Rudy Sarzo, because mm -hmm. I think I, I read Rudy Sarzo's biography too about that last tour i think he told rudy that he was not happy and he wanted to go home and what you said pursue that side yeah for cliff composition that's that's a tougher one because cliff was such an important factor in metallica maybe not songwriter or but he was looked up to so i think you know, people always ask me and or we with friends, I talk about what do you think Metallica would, would have done a, a Justice for All and would they have done the Black Album? I think that's an impossible question actually, to answer. Because yeah, it is, but I think it's a little bit of a misnomer when, when I think some of these, these metal guys, which by the way, it, we all love Cliff and for good reason, he's amazing and all that. But it, 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 the funny thing to me, though, is like, he inspires everybody, right? So you're going to have all these great bass players that are inspired. But you also, it's almost like there's these default guys of like, if it's almost like, uh-oh, it's almost like red flag. If a guy's like, I love Cliff Burton or a drummer's like, I love Dana Carey. You're like, I don't know if I can trust you because it's like a default thing. I just, I had bad experiences <laughs> where I jam with someone who was like, yeah, Cliff Burton. And then I jam with these guys and it was like, wow, this guy blows. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> like, I mean, it's one thing to be inspired by someone, but you need kind of need to learn to tune your instrument and stuff too, you know, but yeah. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. That's nothing to do with Cliff Burton. It's just an observation, but I no, think, but you know, I, I the guys, agree. yeah, the metal guys that are like, oh, Metallica sold out and it never would have happened with Cliff. And it. I think it would have been the opposite. They just would have done it really well. They would have like, yeah segued into i think maybe even more like in that sort of a pink floyd realm or something right and then just have these amazing compositions and thematic albums and stuff like that that you know orion on steroids right i but, think uh, you're very very right i think i think so too because i mean cliff wasn't the biggest metalhead either i mean he listened to leonard skinner mm -hmm. according to kirk hammett you know when they were not playing gigs like in the hotel rooms he would grab kirk's guitar and like play skinner songs 
So and, that's uh, how that's how home. Kirk Hammett got all of his licks. <laughs> Kirk Hammett's just they'll, they'll play all those stock Skinner licks, all those little pull offs. Well, know? they all, they already sh- always shared rooms, right? I mean, when yeah. they were on tour and they weren't like huge yet, they had to share hotel rooms. So it was always James and Lars and Kirk and Cliff, you know, the San Francisco boys and the L.A. boys. So, yeah, yeah, they just you know, and. Yeah, what would have happened? I think what you just, you know, that picture you just painted, I think that's the most realistic answer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and they still put out great stuff, but I mean, yeah, Cliff, that would have, who knows? It, you can only speculate, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, so what are you doing now? I mean, uh, are you teaching privately or, I mean, were you gigging a lot as well? Uh, um, I know, yeah. dude, you know, I was looked you up uh, and you played i had forgotten about so there's this band carterized right mm-hmm. is that am i right is that what is that the right that name my baby is that that's not a thing now but you played with carterized that was your band that was my band yeah, yeah i feel like well, I, got, I mean not just my band right but that was my baby my brainchild yeah i feel like i've actually got that album somewhere and then yeah we did a couple of albums what um so maybe i've got your your debut one what so okay so what happened with that band what tells us the, the story on that well that band like i said i kind of came up with it uh and at that time this was 2003 i had a swedish friend martin drummer and we were talking and we were like oh we should start a death metal band so okay we, we need a guitar player um and he knew this japanese kid uh, called Kosuke, and he was interested. So the three of us basically were the core of that band. Mm-hmm. And then Chris Velez, you remember Chris Velez? Maybe singer. Oh, they singer? called him. They nicknamed him Slayer in those days. I don't know if they I called him guy. Slayer. Anyway, he he joined later. So the four of us were like the biggest drive behind the cauterized unfortunately because it is mi all these international students are on or often are on visas that run out so Mm -hmm. first martin the drummer had to leave and go back to sweden then years later uh kosuke the guitar player had to leave and at that point i decided to call it a day because he wrote about 70 to 75 percent of all the songs and I felt like without his input, it wouldn't be to cauterize anymore. So I kind of cut it, cut the cord there. Um, sadly, because I really liked that band. Um, and I think uh, we did some cool music, but I did not. That was, he was such an important factor in that band. I'm like, no. Yeah. So I uh, had to. What's uh, um did you um where did you guys record it did you record it at mi our first demo was recorded at, at mi with greg harrison on guitar still hmm. remember him shredzilla <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i do remember that guy. that guy yeah 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 amazing amazing guitar yeah. player yeah um but um he left and did his own thing um and after that we went to another studio that i forgot got the name of and after that we found a studio 
called Trench Studios. It's in Corona here in California. It's an hour and a half away or something uh, with an, an engineer called John Haddad. And that guy really got it. So we kept going back to him, um, not just with that band, other bands I played in too. And if people ever ask me, you know, do you know a good affordable studio that can do a decent or not decent, but good solid recording i always refer him to trench studios john mm. Haddad. um abysmal dawn recorded there intronaut hyrax oh. uh, a lot of local la bands like and bigger names too recorded there excellent uh facility really cool dude too um he's a drummer and i think the most important reason why bands still go to studios instead of doing everything at home is because you can't beat a good acoustic live drum sound. And yep, John absolutely. is a drummer, so he knows how to make drums. Ah, sound right. Good. Okay. Cool. Very cool. Corona. That's what, what, where is that direction wise? East. It's towards Riverside. It's like ah. Southeast, more East than South. Inland Empire. It's quite a drive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's exactly. that? Inland Empire. That's it. Or uh, I've heard other people refer to it as the uh, land of the dirt people. (laughs) (laughs) But they got Alberto's Tacos out there, and that place kicks ass. Oh, I've never heard of it. You had me at Tacos. (laughs) Alberto's, man. Hell yeah. Well, you guys, if we can talk food for a second, you guys are both in Texas, right? So you must have. Oh, yeah, dude. I know Austin has freaking awesome food are you yeah, in Austin man. too mm-hmm. Vic yeah yeah I mean Texas got it down you got the Mexican you got the Tex-Mex you got the barbecue there's some good eating around here I, I'll say a, something funny when I first went out to LA it was uh I don't know why I had an expectation that there would would be good Mexican not to say that there's no good Mexican food in LA but there I don't, is t- it's definitely you know it's what different. to be fair it's different because you have Tex-Mex. Like you said it. Tex-Mex. Yeah. Tex-Mex is different than street tacos or authentic Mexican cuisine. But that's what a Texan or a lot of probably Americans think Mexican food is. I mean, we think yeah. Tex-Mex, right? And so I went out there and there was a, what was that place called? Was it called Acapulco or something? Does that sound familiar? Is there? Yeah, but that's kind of like a Mexican Applebee's. You know? <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> So I went, I went there and you know, whatever, it's okay. But the, this was hilarious because I had gone there with my buddy. I think when I moved out there, when maybe there, maybe he came and visited and he, we were, I had lived with him in San Antonio for a while and he worked at a Mexican restaurant there. And I mean, it was Tex-Mex, you know, uh, but we went to this place and it was just so funny. Cause we like ordered and then we're like, can we get some queso? And the guy was just like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> You don't have queso? Like, it's like a bowl with, like, cheese in it. And so they tried. They literally put a bunch of shredded cheese in a bowl and put it in the microwave and brought it to the table. And we were just like, um, all right, oh, I guess. No. Well, and we're just, like, going in, like, the cheese. <laughs> it's just awful. But, yeah, nice try. Anyway, Terrible. I don't feel like I ever really had any great Mexican food place there. I went to a couple. There's some kind of little hoity-toity place in uh, Sherman Oaks called. It's kind of famous. I can't remember the fuck. It's called Casa Vega or some shit. It's not great. There's nothing that I remember being amazing. There's but. some. There's some good. I mean, the best tacos I've ever had though were in Tijuana, hands down. Is that why best you went to Tijuana? Or? 
they do things with those tacos <laughs> to, in Tijuana, you know. I've been to Tijuana three times, and that time was actually the one good time. So don't Man. spoil that one time that <laughs> Let me was tell actually you. good. Let me tell you something. Look, this has actually been – I enjoy all of our podcasts and all of our guests, and uh, some of them – I don't know. Some of them get more lucky than others, and we actually talk about music. This has been fascinating and informative, and up to this point, I have not ruined it. But now that you said Tijuana. Uh-oh. Uh. You've been to Tijuana three times. What's up with that, sir? Are you a are you a donkey show fan or what? No, no. I've never seen a donkey show. Never. Nor do oh. I really have the urge to go see one. Uh, Man, I wish we did. That's my thing. I wish we'd have brought up the donkey show on Italo's podcast. Oh, Dick, that motherfucker. He's probably, he gives he a bad name to Mexico. Yeah. Oh, no, nah, there's no probably. He gives a bad name to Mexicans. He he basically is like, oh, yeah, that's a that's a Mexican thing you got to do. It's like, really? All Mexicans have to go, like, watch ping pong balls fly out of women? Like, or don't. Anyway, I, I digress. Let's get back to informative music stuff. You've never seen the donkey show, have you, Dick? No, no. Okay. But I have been to Tijuana I'm a few times. Oh yeah, well you were stationed in San Diego. The closest I ever came to a donkey show was uh, what was that? Clerks two. Oh yeah, yep, that's right. <laughs> I remember that. That's the closest I've ever been to a donkey <laughs> show. Yeah, leave it to fucking Kevin Smith to put that on film. <laughs> oh man, did did you ever go down uh, go down the coast to like uh, Rosarito or Ensenada? No, I'd love to. I mean, uh, the last time I was in Mexico, well, kind of in Mexico, is right before the pandemic hit. So February of 2020, I did this Monsters of Rock cruise with a band, and we were in uh, Cozumel for like just a couple hours. And of course, you only see the touristy stuff. I was bummed because I wanted to go see the ruins, you know, the uh, what is it uh, Aztec oh yeah. yeah that is the kind of stuff I would love to see not a freaking donkey show I want to <laughs> climb those pyramids <laughs> fuck the donkeys well I mean other people do well, that, I, I think it's interesting you know we, we were talking about Amsterdam before we started recording we were talking about the Van Gogh Museum ah. Vermeer's skunk jumps on and he goes first thing he thinks about when <laughs> he mentions Amsterdam prostitutes yeah yeah no, to, hey, look, for the record, I'm not, I I do not, is it condone? What does that mean? I don't advocate for condone prostitution. Is that oh, what that you're going to say donkey cares? shows. Dude, or donkey <laughs> shows, actually. I'm, I'm actually just had a, oh, oh, okay. When you hey, said if the donkey's and, into it, I'm, I'm cool, <laughs> but I mean, I don't think they ever asked the donkey's <laughs> opinion, so that's why I'm not down with it. Well, that's. That's why I'm. Oh God, what has happened to our conversation? Look, just I don't want to. I don't want to get hung up on hung. I don't want to get. <laughs> That's the thing with like this is the guy had a hard time even saying this word. It's so disgusting. Like bestiality is just fucked up because like yeah, it's like it seems not fair to the animal. Now it's a dumb animal, right? So it's probably just getting off and having a grand old time. But this just seems wrong. I, I don't like bestiality. I'm gonna go on record and say that <laughs> on this until podcast. we can ask the animal's opinion exactly it's not cool it's we were so concerned about each other's feelings and you know like well what about the the animals anyway and animals are always better people than we are so yes that's hey what's your cat's name by the way (sighs) 
Yeah, she she can misbehave. Uh, she sounds a little. Her mean. name is. <laughs> well, she's old. She's almost oh, twenty. Oh my god! And wow. She's, she's a cranky old lady. Her name is Miss Crinkles. Oh wow. <laughs> that just sounds like a good old lady name. Yeah, it's real close to wrinkles. <laughs> but she is. She can be very loud when she wants attention, and obviously, I'm not talking to her now. I'm talking mm-hmm. to you guys. So, but you know, she's. She's taking a nap right now, so hopefully uh, she'll be well, okay. Back speaking of back to my brother um, and donkey shows. So my brother, how's he doing? He's doing great, man. He, what's that? <laughs> Your brother and donkey shows. Donkey show. Yeah. So my my brother, uh, you know, my brother finally stopped watching donkey shows and ended up getting married. And he lives in San Francisco now. They've been in San Francisco since I think 2015. He's got a he's got a son. Um, got other kinds. So of yeah, they're doing there, good. Too other kind of yeah i'm sure san francisco well kink kink.com you know they got some filthy shit going on over that place just (laughs) Uh, anyway so um where was i going oh but so the woman he married tina has this cat named mr peanut we ended up writing a funk theme song for the cat and i released it in this whole big thing but this cat is the coolest goddamn cat ever it's like a dog it's just the most friendly it doesn't do any of that cat you know um i'm too good for you fuck you until you have tuna kind of attitude right it's just like the super friendly yeah, like animal that loves everybody. But the thing about Mr. Peanut is it, that your cat, it, when you said needy, like, dude, Mr. Peanut has got to have 24-7 attention. Or he's just like, because he's so, like, spoiled. And he'll just come up to you. And he's so adorable. You don't mind it. But he'll just come up to me. And, you know, like a dog, you know? <laughs> like, you just want, you're like, Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, awesome cat, though. Mr. Peanut rules. And he's getting up there, too, man. I think he just had his sweet 16 uh a year well he might be 17 now even but uh okay so what are you doing now um what so what are some other bands or when you say actually back to that cruise that the monsters of rock that's a pretty big deal right it's like there are some heavy bands on that thing very interesting yeah tell us about that well it was more like the 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 80s metal that's what i mean yeah but like but like big names Yeah, yeah yeah Yeah, yeah. The the coolest thing was um, Steve Harris was on the cruise with his other band, British Lion. Wow. So I got to see Steve Harris from like, you know, five feet away on a tiny little stage, (laughs) Uh which with Iron Maiden, there's no way you can pull that off. Even if you're right at the barrier, he's still like, you know, 10, 20 feet away. But this was like, you know, small club basic little small club on a boat but small club and so i got to watch that which was really cool um i got to watch a couple other cool things um it's i don't know if we've ever done any of those musical cruises it was my first time it's very it's different how long was it it's a five-day cruise okay um and they literally have 40 bands playing multiple times. So every day there is, you know, from 10, 11 in the morning to like 1 to 2 at night, there's bands playing multiple bands at the same time throughout the ship. They have like four or five venues and then outside by the pool, there's bands playing, which is cool. But after a couple of days, you're like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> I can't. No more falsetto. Any, yeah. No exactly. more guitar solos. And as cool and weird as it is, um, 
two cabins away from me was uh, Tesla singer Jeff Keith mm-hmm. um, warming up. And I was like, man, this was after a couple days. I think he didn't have to play. Till, and after a couple days, I was like, dude, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and I, I actually like Tesla. Sure, and I yeah. think his voice is great. But so it's cool, but it's overkill. Yeah. There's so many bands in such little time. Um, and it's crazy. You know, um, do you guys ever go to the Rainbow when you're out here? Yeah. Rainbow Bar and Grill? Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's basically like the rainbow on a Saturday night, if you mm-hmm. remember that. But it's 6,000 people. Wow. They're all drunk all the time. And is the, do they have <laughs> cocaine? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> well, none of that is allowed, but of course. Right. So it's it's a party. It's yeah. literally a five-day-long, 24-7 party. Wow. Casinos on the boat. It's a regular cruise. It sounds ship. awesome. I mean, yeah. I've heard I've heard about those. I've seen those advertised a lot, and it sounds like a super fun thing to do, especially if you're someone that's, you know, into all those bands, and you just go fucking party your ass off. As, as a working yeah. musician, I'm sure it's like a bit, you know, can be a bit taxing, but also fun. It's unique, and I'm glad I did it. If they would ask me with any band I was in, Again, I would say, hell yeah, I'm on. Mm-hmm. Uh, would I ever pay for it myself? Hell no, never. Why? It, I love just because it was too boats. much, you think? It was just like overload it's, it's, after a few days? It's too much. Yeah. It's too much. And if you don't want to get shit-faced, you know, the whole day, every day, yeah. which I don't, I like to have a couple drinks, but yeah. not like being shit-faced 24-7. The only thing to do on that ship is eat. So I ate like five meals a day because all the food is free. Fucking sign me up, dude. How did how the <laughs> fuck did you get and that gig? I want good. that goddamn gig. The food is good. They have, you know, the buffet section, yeah. which is oh. already excellent. Yes. But they they also have their like five star restaurant with their menus and their chefs. And that's open all the time and that's free too. Holy shit. Wow. So I mean it's obviously insane. that cost a pretty penny for or you know, there's a price tag for the the average person yeah going but but the bands it's all comp that's amazing dude uh how did you yeah. have that come about you have to pay for is alcohol yeah so if you're not a bl- uh, raging alcoholic then that's not bad you're you're allowed five bottles of wine per passenger <laughs> take on board so what we Jesus. did is right before you know they leave from florida <laughs> right before we boarded we uh ubered it to the nearest trader joe and just got like uh, five boxes of you know wine <laughs> brought that on on board so you did you um then this this took off from california and then you went all sailed all no no the, no you went to you flew to florida no no i'm you lost fly on to how. florida to fort lauderdale and then okay. you go yeah because when you, you said you, cozumel that i was like going wait cozumel's not on that side of mexico okay now i'm no it's the gulf a little more. Yeah. okay so um, they have various different stops, but this one goes from Fort Lauderdale to Belize or, and then to Cozumel and then back. So how did that Which come is cool, about, but, that gig? Um, well, they asked the band I played with. Unfortunately, this is one of the, the only band that I'm not even a full member of i don't even know but i'm not allowed to say what band it is i wasn't allowed to say it on the ship either oh wow it's one of those ghost 
things you know that band ghost oh know, yeah yeah every, okay you know, secret uh, identities yep. and everything hmm. interesting <sighs> and i hate that shit and you know I, when i was on the ship and i had a couple drinks i started telling some people and then the next day i got a big talking to you're not, <laughs> you're not allowed to say that you're in the band i wear a huge costume you can't oh, see it wow so, well, hell it's sparked my fucking curiosity it what? sucks too because guess what when we played our gig steve harris watched our entire show and i can't tell him that it was fucking me. oh man steve harris is raving about this is the greatest band ever and you just have to be like yeah that band's really cool huh <laughs> steve harris i don't know but nuno betancourt the guy from extreme was sure. he was raving about the band and wanted oh, wow. to take the band on tour wow no but shit i can't say hey that was me wow what uh oh, that's what this, this was last year <laughs> yeah. make it smart because <laughs> he just looks up the the bill <laughs> of that monsters of rock mm-hmm. cruise in february 2020 and looks at the one band that he doesn't that's how <laughs> how you can do it okay it's that's not how you find out. all right well no. vic's gonna do his research the only and band on that honest. cruise that has costumes that you can't tell who it is Everybody else is just standing there. Holy shit, you play in Guar. Holy shit. That's crazy. It's not Guar, no. <laughs> but it's I I can imagine it's just as uncomfortable as playing in Guar. I never thought of it until I did this gig that how fucking uncomfortable it has to be for those guys to oh, do that. And are you talking about just the them. costume and having to wear and play in it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Because for me, I have to wear a costume that not only is it huge and heavy? I also cannot see any part of the base. So I'm playing completely blind. Oh I can't God. see the body. I can't see the neck. So in, when I rehearse with this band, I play like this. Wow. Uh, you know, luckily there are tunes that I've been playing since I was 15. Mm-hmm. So they're tunes that I kind of know like the back of my hand. Wow. But it's not easy to play completely without sight. I also cannot see the audience. I have no idea what's going on. I, wow. I can't see the band. Everything is on Jesus. Nothing. And I can barely move. Oh. Let's uh talk about gear for a sec, man. What do you play? Are you are you uh do you have a certain um brand of bass that you you prefer or play a lot and the amps and stuff what, what do you use um a lot of different stuff uh, like i said for that classical stuff i use that one five string that i keep it's, that's just some ibanez sound gear mm-hmm. um now i have and i don't know if when you were at mi did they start the luthier school yet Mm-mm. the guitar the gca Mm-mm. guitar craft academy Okay, so they had that for a while. That's done now, too. And one of the teachers there, his name is Lance Alonzo, good friend of mine, and he built me. Dude, is that the guy that built Mark Thomas a guitar? Yep. He built Mark a couple of guitars. He built Greg Harrison a couple of guitars. Uh, A lot of good players. Um, And he built me a couple basses. So I play a lot of those. I really – he's – one talented guy he makes really good instruments um so i play that Uh, i have for a lot of gigs you know that 
one traditional i have my fender jazz because you can't really go wrong with a good fender jazz bass um that's pretty much what i use most of the time this band i play in this band too behold the monolith we're actually yeah, next cool month we go in the studio and record an album with those guys i'm pretty excited about that too that's i play a five string too but a regular five string with a low b and that's uh an ltd esp bass mm. esp actually gave me i'm not endorsed by them but i did some work for them so instead of payment they're like we can't pay you but we can give you a bass i'm like yeah can i cool. pick which one so i picked a bass so i was down with that um amps a mark bass because it's easy because they're so small and easy to carry around on the other hand i still prefer an 810 ampeg cabinet which usually has me end up at the chiropractor <laughs> after a tour yeah that, so, I, I haven't used it a lot but that mark gear sounds really good man it's mark bass is really cool yeah. you know they're very small amps you can literally put them in your backpack and they they pack a punch. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they're all solid state. There's no tubes involved, but they sound good. I love them. I bring them to every gig, whether it's a metal gig or not a metal gig, and nobody's ever complained. So this uh, Behold the Monolith band, uh, I, I just looked them up, and it looks like they've been around for a while and got a few yeah. records out. How, how long have you been playing with them? Um, I think a year and a half, two years maybe. Are they, um, where are they from? Well, they're, they're an LA band, but they're, it's a three piece now. Uh, they were a three piece at the beginning and they, they changed lineup a couple times. Um, the guitar player is originally from Baton Rouge, I think, and a drummer from Massachusetts, but they started the band in LA. So mm -hmm. it's an LA band. Right. What kind of what kind of style is that? It's it's a cool mix of like it's heavy, kind of on the doom side, but it's huh. got a little bit of progressive, some stoner in there. It's it's cool music. Cool man, yeah, I um, check that out. Yeah, I like that name a lot too. Yeah, it's it's a cool band. I've known the guys forever, especially the guitar player uh, Matt. Uh, we've played in a Venom a tribute band together and so we've known each other and played in bands together for years um after the cauterized was disbanded i started a, another like death grindcore band that he played in for a while so i mean i've known matt forever and when their bass player decided he didn't want to be in the band anymore he asked me and i was like i'll, I'll help out and that kind of turned into me playing bass for them and then they got rid of their singer, and they're like, "Oh, well, you, you played and sang in the Cauterize too, right? Can you?" Oh fuck! So basically? you're straight up fronting it now, huh? Yeah. Cool. That was thrust. I'm. All, I've always been a reluctant singer. I mean, I do it, be, and I can, but I'm not the one. Like, oh, can I be the singer? But if it's necessary, like in the Cauterize too, I was the lead singer from the beginning. And then I was like, I don't really want to sing. I want to, I, I like playing, you know, I like mm -hmm. concentrating on my instrument and just playing and being free. Singing kind of takes away from that. Mm -hmm. But then with the Cauterize, you know, we had a couple singers and like none of them do 
what I have in my head and it's, you know, I write a lot of the lyrics and, and that. And so I fired all the singers. I'm like, okay, I'll do it myself. And I guess with Behold a Monolith, it's kind of that same thing where the singer they had was really good. Um, a girl singer, actually. She was an excellent singer, but it just didn't work out on whatever level. I'm not quite sure. So I can, I can <clears throat> growl a little bit. So she was like a growly chick. She could do both. She mm. she's in, actually I recommended her to the band when they lost their singer before that. Oh, okay. So I was sad to see her go. I understand why it happened, and I don't think there's a lot of hard feelings or anything. But um, I'm like, man, I can't sing like she does, but I can sing like I do. And apparently that's good enough. So it's, that's how I, that's how I feel about my vocals. And then I'm like, yeah, you know, and more and more for mediocrity, dude, I mean, well, I finally, like it took years and I mean, and I've been singing a long time and I'd sing and play acoustic and, and had my ass handed to me when I would, you know, have melodies and stuff in my head when I first started a good rogering. And then we went in the studio and all these things that kind of humdy dumbed and the, the apartment on my four track tape recorder, then go in the studio and I'm like, wow, I suck and can't sing any of this. This is embarrassing. And had to rewrite melodies and like tuck my old shit way in the background and have guest singer. <laughs> and then over yeah. the years I've gotten like, I listen to old demos and stuff now. I mean, I'm, stuff that I'm, you know, finally getting around to recording 10 years later or not that long, but we're, I'm listening to the demo and going, Phew. You know, I mean, not, not that I put a lot of effort into, you know, a, a scratch take or something, but I think I've definitely, uh, God, I would hope a better singer now. That's just, and a lot of that, I think is finding your own voice and your own comfort zone. And we're, we're learning yeah. to work within that, you know, and, and whatever the style may be, because I do a lot of different styles. Obviously you do too. And it's like, you kind of have to know where, where you're in, where you're at and like what you know that you can do for that right and so for me it's like i'm not a fucking tenor i mean i can kind of do the high screams but i can't sing like beautiful clean freddie mercury me re melodies <laughs> right. you know i got yeah. the, the james hetfield rasp and or i can do the johnny cash or something but like that's don't don't take me too far out of those zones probably you know I think that's probably the most uh, important thing you said is you got to find your voice. And that's mm -hmm. what I have to do for every band too. And we've been working, we actually demoed out the entire record that we're about to record next month with all the vocals, everything in place. And that I think is really good because it helped me find my voice yeah. for that band, you know, for the cauterize, I had a voice, but obviously this isn't straight death metal. So I can't use that voice, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm actually, for the first time since uh, 1994, I'm doing some clean singing and oh, some wow. harmonies. Awesome. Nothing, nothing, you know, crazy. Not like you said, no Freddie Mercury's or Bruce Dickinson's. Cause I, you know, I know my limits, but it, it sounds decent enough where I was like, okay, yeah, we can, we can do that. So, yeah, that's, well, I mean, that's the way to do it. You know, you get pre-production, you get everything ready, and then you're going out to the trench, I'm assuming, to record. Is this going to be the first, um, is this an EP or a full length, and is this the first album? This is going to be a full length. And this is the yeah, first, first recording you've done with them. Yeah, this cool. is going to be the first album and full length album. We got, I think, 45 to 50 minutes worth of music. We're not doing trench this time. We're going uh where our rehearsal spot is literally like three blocks away is another good friend of mine maybe you remember his name too charlie waymeyer drummer oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. 
he has a studio, Ultimate Rhythm uh, Studios, with his friend um, Ernesto Homeyer, who was also an MI teacher, mm-hmm. guitar player. And we're going there because cool. it's three blocks away. Yeah. Charlie's excellent at what he does as well. And uh, it's just convenient, you know, awesome. three blocks. Yeah. Seriously. Dude, I tell you what, that is nice. I always feel like I'm driving. I mean, I'm a, I'm a whiny bitch because I live in Austin. So when you drive 30 minutes here, you're like, eh, L.A., that's like only 30 minutes? Yeah, right? Yes! <laughs> Holy shit, this is a hop and a skip. <laughs> I know. But it's like, I feel like there's never a studio. It's like 5 billion studios here, and none of them are, you know, more than 30 minutes away. Um, but, you know, people don't open up their studio in the middle. Of- well, some do. I mean, shit, there are some studios kind of downtown. There's a lot of great studios here, actually. Um, I just hate driving, <laughs> especially now the pandemic's happened. I just don't want to do anything that requires leaving my house anymore. <laughs> yeah, same here. I mean, I like I, the cruise only- idea. Can I, can I just go somewhere where I just eat free fucking food and, <sighs> and then play music and then go eat more food? I, I'd go in a heartbeat. Like I said, if I don't have to pay for it, I'll, I'll take it. Because I love being on boats and water yeah. and all that. I'm, I'm a f- I've never been on a cruise, man. I, I'd love to. I, I, I just realized... Yeah, so basically next time we if we see Ghost playing a cruise, we know it's you. <laughs> no, it's not. I wish. I, I'm a, actually a fan of that band, and it's no. If you were, Ghost, if you were in Ghost, could, yeah, if you were in Ghost, you wouldn't be doing this podcast. They'd probably pay you to be like, you can't talk to anybody. We can't risk you saying maybe, anything. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty interesting yeah. about, about Ghost. i, I got to tell a funny story about this, and I'm not going to name names, but there was somebody that was like... Um, his girlfriend had like, I, I, I think it was after the, probably after they had broken up or something, but his girlfriend was like this huge ghost fan. Right. And like would go to all their shows and get the, the VIP pass or whatever, where you can go like, uh, you know, hang backstage and meet Papa, whatever the fuck his name is and whatever that he always has these different yeah, characters, the character, right? Yeah. Every, yeah. And, and you get to do this whole big thing and then somehow got to be maybe know something or whatever. Anyway, blah, blah, long story short. And I don't even know if it's true. It's just funny, but went to, somewhere to, to see the band and ends up like uh you know hooking up with somebody or fucking the guitar player or whatever right and i was just like laughing my ass off when i got this story. i was like it probably wasn't even the guitar player it's like some fucking roadie that's like oh yeah that's me i'm the guitar player it's like for right? banging random chicks because know. nobody knows who the fuck it is <laughs> that's what they told me to say you that's know so like, awesome. no just say that you're the bass tech <laughs> Or like the roadie. You I'm just gonna say. start telling motherfuckers I'm in ghosts. It was, it was probably the guy <laughs> that puts hilarious. up the costumes, like cleans the masks and everything. And he's yeah, yeah. Right? He just had shit hanging up and like yeah, exactly. Lysol. Got back from the fucking dry cleaners. <laughs> he's like, oh yeah, that's my costume. I'm the guitar player. She's like, oh my god, right? <laughs> and then she watches him again. For me on the cruise, like, though. I, you know, yeah, any of those ploys did not work for me. Not that I was really trying. But, you know what it's like i just what you should have done was have steve harris sign your bass <laughs> oh well you couldn't see him you couldn't see anything so i didn't know he was there they told me afterwards he already left I'm like fuck me handing your bass to random people are you steve harris? was it a uh was it a silver fender p bass oh are you looking at cruise photos <laughs> yeah. Vic? see he already knows Oh. I'll, I'll we can share post uh post we won't session. we won't yeah we won't this we is, won't we won't blow this your is the cover culprit. Man. nice it's a jazz bass oh, yes, ja- okay that's yep. the one and if you've seen that picture you probably saw the costume it fucking <laughs> sucks 
It really does. I mean, it's fun. It's it's a fun thing to do, and I'm not complaining that much. But holy <laughs> shit balls! And the thing is, is it so hot? this is how it works. You have to wear some kind of backpack with like a metal pole sticking over your head, curved, and that the dome goes on top of that, right? And you got to really you know tighten Jeez. that and screw that Oof. backpack down because what happened the first night we played that i didn't tighten the screws enough so that dome that's pretty heavy in itself and carries all the weight of the entire costume in the middle of the set went so i had to play the whole thing not just blind but like this this is such a horrible thing to say you can't take the thing off during the show uh there's no time to adjust so here i am blind playing an entire set like that i basically know what it feels like to be mick mars <laughs> <laughs> poor guy oh my god don't even mention motley crew man that just makes Uh-oh. me sad oh what do you, wait what do you mean by that well a more recent story which i in in hindsight thought hilarious um i'm a single man um, and uh <clears throat> i hate motley crew i can't stand them Right? Those two are perfectly normal things. You know, maybe not everybody hates... If you don't hate Motley Crue, that's that's cool. I'm still be friends. But so, for the first time since this whole quarantine lockdown, I actually went on a date. Um, about a week ago. You're in awesome LA. You chick. know all these chicks are going to love Motley Crue, dude. <laughs> See, I, I, I wasn't thinking. <laughs> Everything was awesome. Swimmingly. And then I say, I hate Motley Crue. Oh. There was never a second date. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm like, seriously? You're serious? You're yeah. not oh, man. People take music fucking seriously, Because dude. I don't like Motley Crue. Who cares? I mean, you like Motley Crue, and I'll still go out on a second date with you. I'm like, I don't care what you like. You've got genitalia. No, nah, I mean, not really. <laughs> exactly. But, look, in I the long game, that. in the long Where game, those things matter. You? In the lo- yeah, in the long game, those things do matter. You can't be with like a metal dude with some chick who loves bro country. That shit's not gonna gonna last, right? You both yeah, have to I, have I like shit tasted music, but but one or, band. But dude, like on a one date, I don't I give can, a fuck. You could tell me that like Mike Patton is the worst singer ever, and Faith No More blows, and I'd be like, I don't care, take your pants off, like whatever. <laughs> right? You know what? Like, who cares? But and then after that, and then after that, and a- after I disappoint you sexually, I'd be like, haha, jokes on you. I love Faith No More. <laughs> fucking get out of here. <laughs> See, and everything else, you know, all the other music, we were, like, completely, like, in line, and everything was nice, and it was well, great. Look, you know, Motley Crue's not Metallica this. or Megadeth, but why Why do you hate Motley Crue? Like, what's what's so terrible? I mean, Vince Neil can't sing. We all know that, but why, why hate them so much? Uh, I think they embody, to me, more than any other of those bands of that era, that spirit of that that whole yahoo image and looks the glam rock thing glam rock and who cares if you can play your instrument as long as you Mm. have the right eyeliner or guy liner in this uh, particular (laughs) uh, and then people were calling them metal too right and 
That was really annoying. Yeah. I don't think metal's a, a yeah. appropriate term. I mean, term. people call a lot of bands metal that I don't agree with. And I, you know, for example, Tool, is that really a metal band? I like Tool. There's nothing wrong with them. But are they really a metal band? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, some people called Rage Against the Machine a metal band. Now, I think Rage Against the Machine is fantastic, but I don't think they're a metal band. I don't think they would call themselves a metal band. Yeah. They're a rock band or, you know, but... But yeah, Motley Crue to me embodies that which I dislike about LA. It sounds more than any other band. And Vince Neil is a shit singer and a shit person and he's Mickey done sucks, some pretty shit things. Can't play bass. He didn't even play bass on his own solo record. Oh. Now you're a bass player, you release your own solo record Wait, and you have someone else Nikki play Six? bass on it. What? Oh, on, on six AM, Nikki Six doesn't play bass on that? No. He plays bass on uh Alice Coop on, uh, I think he plays bass on some stuff on Hey Stupid, which is a fucking killer record, dude. Oh, he plays Feed yeah. My Frankenstein, and that's an awesome groove and an awesome song. I'll give Probably props on that. Probably not him, though. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. It could be the thing. I've heard this about Kiss, where they had, like, uh, what was the dude that played the, on the David Letterman Late Show? I was just talking about him on the last podcast, and I couldn't think of his name. Something Willie. Fig. Huh? The drummer. Oh, Anton Fig? Anton Fig. Anton Fig. Like, yeah. I heard that he went in and drummed on Kiss albums and shit like that. Okay, um, can I ruin your world now? <laughs> I don't care. I, I don't. I, look. Oh, first of all, do you like Kiss? Because if you don't like Motley no, no. Crue, but you like Kiss, that doesn't add up to me. <laughs> Kiss I, 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 inspired yeah. Motley Crue. If you want to shit on somebody, you should shit on Kiss. <laughs> I'm not a huge Kiss fan. I I like some of their songs, but I'm not a huge fan. But at least on some of the early Kiss songs, Gene Simmons played bass himself. Well, I, this is so. news to me that Nikki Six is a total hack. I mean, I, I never thought he was the greatest bass player in the world, but I didn't realize that well, apparently he's terrible. Well, one of my um, teachers, when I started MI, uh, a guy named Paul Farnan was uh, also Nikki Six private teacher. And he told me there is absolutely, the guy can't play. Wow. Absolutely not. Um, <clears throat> and this is me going to ruin your world because you said Guns N' Roses was one of your favorite bands. <laughs> and I may assume that Appetite for yeah. Destruction is one of your favorite albums. Yeah, well, yeah. That's why I started playing guitar. It's a great album. I'm Personally, I have nothing against the album. It's good. Um, but that's not Duff McKagan. Uh-oh, I'm getting, I'm getting upset. <laughs> I'm getting this weird... What's going on here, man? This is it's like when someone first told me typo negative wasn't using playing didn't have real drums post bloody kisses. Like get the fuck out of here. And then I'm like, oh, oh wow, you're totally bands, right. A lot of bands. I recently found out that uh, that Swedish death metal band Entombed is all V drums on their. Oh well, I, I you know what? When it comes to like that style of music, that totally man. You listen to a lot of stuff and you're like, there's no way that's a human being, right? Like really precision precision stuff. Like I don't I don't know Morbid Angel or fucking Devin Townsend stuff or something. Sometimes it sounds mm -hmm. so, uh, it doesn't sound like a, a drummer, you know? Um, yeah. Sometimes. Well, I mean, sometimes it's too, because it's too doctored, you know, I yeah, had exactly. that one band where we went in the studio and the drummer, I saw him record all the tracks and then they quantize everything. And it's it almost like, like why a drum machine. Well, especially if you're doing V drums, like why even have a drummer play? 
just yeah, program, program the fucking thing. It doesn't, it doesn't do make, that. yeah, exactly. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, I can say that I played drums. I, I did a punk song with my fiance and I played my electronic kit and it was horrible. And then I just moved everything around and made it sound like it was good. That's not really me playing, <laughs> you know, like, why did I even take yeah. the time? I'm like, well, that was a waste of time. I'll just program the fucking <laughs> drums be way faster than me cleaning up my own shit, you know? exactly anyway duff mckagan i don't believe you let's <laughs> but actually no you seem like you really you're like a you really know your shit man well, so tell me the just story because, on this um the guy who did record it told me himself and he is a big studio cat he's and is he, he not a even, psycho I la liar him. Uh, no he's actually at this moment as the base chair of uh berkeley college of music Steve mm. Bailey, bass oh, yeah, player called Steve Bailey. Okay, he was a big studio cat. I don't know if he still does a lot of sessions. He plays with Victor Wooten all the time, and you know, um, he taught at MI when I was a student. Uh, that was his last year, I think. He did uh, lessons at MI, and uh, we had a lesson, <clears throat> and I, th- I don't know how it came up. Maybe I started playing a lick from you know that uh, sweet child of mine, and he just kind of laughed. I'm like, well, was that bad? Like, no, no. <laughs> you know that was uh, me. Do you? I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, I, I was called in for that session because Duff couldn't, he couldn't pull it off. And if you look at, you know, footage from that time, he doesn't really, I mean, he wrote all the lines. That's all his, but he couldn't really pull it off. Hmm. You know, it sounds super sloppy. And on the record, it's on the money, and that's, pre-pro tools or any kind of mm-hmm. digital that was steve bailey that's a good i mean that's a good point i'm still having a hard time with this but i don't know i don't know i'll take your word for no no it's okay you're not i, I mean I'm, i wasn't I'm, there obviously i'm not a teenager I, like nothing i don't care you know i mean what do i i don't I'm, care but uh from what i've heard uh, uh, the the rumors i've heard is that it might be so that the only Guns N' Roses members on that record are um, Stephen Adler and Axl Rose. But Which that's rumors. A, that, I don't... Oh, God. That's got to be a rumor, dude. Sl- that guitar style, that's got to be Slash. That's so signature. No one else sounds like that. I mean, really. It's possible. But, you know, those studio cats like the Carl Verheyens and that's the Luthers, they get paid to sound like others. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I talked to uh, TJ Helmrich, who was a recording engineer mm-hmm. teacher there, too. And he was there for a lot of those sessions. Uh, he was there for like the band Warrant, you know, and he's like, yeah, the only guy. Oh, on yeah. That- Janie Lane's the only guy on those records, right? I've heard about yeah. the Warrant stuff. You totally heard yeah, that. And yeah. So many records. Dude. Um, <clears throat> Kiss, too. You know, um, Bruce Kulick did an MI thing. He's like, yeah, I played bass on some Kiss records because Gene just can't be bothered. Too busy selling shit. Yeah. Coming up with marketing stuff and banging chicks. And the thing, <laughs> the one that surprised me the most, and I don't know, it, it's 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 kind of ambiguous, but this one time Greg Bissonette, the drummer, mm-hmm. you know, David Lee Roth, he played with mm-hmm. everybody. He, would, he did a clinic at MI. And for some reason, for me, it came out of the blue because I never heard that rumor before. A student stood up and asked him, did you record drums for the Black Album? And Greg Bissonette said, I cannot answer that question. (laughs) 
What hmm. the fuck does that mean? Hmm. Man, these are tough pills to swallow. I'm not going to say that. Here's the thing. In a pre-pro, you make a good point, though. In a pre-pro tools world where you're sitting there chopping, ta- no one's going to want to chop up someone's pile of shit if you can get someone that can just go in there and nail that and get it done right. So it doesn't surprise me in a pre-pro tools digital world when you're dealing with tape and time really is money and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're dealing at a high level where that stuff album. has. Yeah. And, yeah. And you, you, it has to sound awesome. It has to be great. Um, and those musicians were all fucked up. Lars and a lot of those guys were really, shape. really fucked up. Guns N' Roses, duh. Well, well, Guns N' Roses to me makes more sense than. I mean, honestly, Lars isn't that far of a. It's not that hard to. Um, that doesn't. All, on in a way, it doesn't sound super far fetched because Lars is always on top of the beat live. You know, he's he's not a really you know metronomic drummer at all. I, no. I'm guessing they're one of the biggest bands in the world that that doesn't play to a metronome at all i mean they, they are all over the fucking place live you know yep um surprisingly to my ultimate surprise i read an interview with uh what's the guy that did their first couple albums or the oh, master um, of puppets and rights the uh, Danish Fleming, guy? um yeah Fleming oh, rasmussen yes in an interview he said that the only song he ever recorded with a click with metallica was for whom the bell tolls and if i listen to it man what? that shit is all over the place so that's, he that swears actually su- that, that they used a me. click for that song but that that's like the last song i would think if i listen to it that's janky as shit great song don't get yeah me no I, I honestly that would be song. the one song i would maybe he got it wrong I, I don't know if i can buy that because that stuff is t- a lot of that especially master I'm ride the lightning maybe, but Master Puppets is such a tight record. That's got that's got that's just has to be to a click, dude. Has to be. Right. Or you, you never know. Well, who knows? I mean, maybe they came in with scratch tracks that were played to a click, and they just played it out. Like I was Cliff surprised Burton, that or James Brown scratch. Uh, Definitely Nick not Menza Mars. told me that Rust in Peace wasn't recorded to a click. I can't believe you're giving me all kinds of information that's blowing that's my head. That's what he said. I mean, obviously the guy was on drugs too, but he said that. I mean, to their credit, they're tight. Peace. They're tight as fuck. That's you know, like one sad, of the tightest you know, the metal albums ever. The sad thing about Rust in Peace, which is like arguably like the greatest sort of like speed metal album ever, right? Is that down. it was kind of like that was being done at the same time. Why I think was it Mike Clink was doing um, Rust? Uh, uh, no, no, he was doing uh, Jesus. We were just Guns and Roses, the Use Your Illusion stuff. Yeah, and yeah. so I think that sure. Rust and Peace was kind of like, all right, I'll, I, I guess I can mix this real fast or what? I don't think it got the production that it deserved. And and actually, I remember being like really upset when they were saying they did all those re- remixed stuff and re-released all these remixes. Some of the old, uh, some of them I don't. I think I like the old stuff better. But man, Rust and Peace, you can actually like hear a pop on the snare drum and hear, I just sonically. It doesn't even matter. It's such a great record, but the drums and stuff, it's not like, obviously you take Rust in Peace from a sonic standpoint, compare it to Use Your Illusion. I mean, it's night and day because Use Your Illusion sounds fucking yeah. incredible sonically, you know? Oh yeah, that's, you know, but they, but I mean, that was like so many millions of dollars, billion dollars that. versus, you know, yeah, a yeah, million dollars basically. So man, I mean, the, the no click stuff sounds because that actually sounds contrary to bring it when you bring in session players and you get everything perfect in the studio. So it sounds like, bizarre that you would not do that in a prof- in a studio as making a professional record yeah the studio guys i mean you're right because if you got these guys who write and they're playing they're the rock stars in the face of the band that's great you can get away with murder live 
but in the studio, it's got to be great. So I think there's, I've heard those LA stories and I think there's probably more than any of us know or would care to know, right? You don't want that, the romance just ruined. You don't want to accept it. So it's almost like you don't care, but I mean, shit, we're just sitting there talking about Ozzy. I mean, guys, you don't even know that are on fucking records, not getting credit. Other people coming in and recording shit. It's like, what the hell, man? Oh yeah. It's a mess. But at the end of the day, if you have a great record, it's a great record. You know, who cares who played drums on the black album? If you like the black album, it's not going to make it any worse. You know, well, yeah, Appetite if anything, it made it better. <laughs> will rem- r- remain a great record. Um, so will rest in peace. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, one of my favorite bands of all time is Thin Lizzy. And one of my favorite records by them is their live, one of their live records, um, Live and Dangerous. Now, totally now not they live. freely admit that yeah. that it's it's twenty five percent live, seventy five percent not live, but it's oh. still a great record. Look, I'll be the first to say I've you know, I've done live stuff that's so not live. By the time you're done with, because you're just like, well, all right, I need to punch this note, punch that note, cop, you know, chop this, chop that, redo vocals right. here. This all sounds like complete shit. I will say that. Um, I mean, I have done some stuff that's really authentic, um, which is pretty cool. Like, even if it is rough and raw, I think there's a character about that that actually makes it really cool. But sometimes if you're going to put out a record, you can't just have like completely horrible notes. And, you know, you got to make it at least like tolerable. But I think there's a fine line between that and then like beating something to death where it's like clearly it's too perfect. Right. But that's that's contingent on style and genre and. Uh, yeah. level of fame and all this kind of shit some some styles even in metal they need that you know not that nowadays that super technical metal it needs to be perfect mm-hmm. otherwise it just it's just a mess it just sounds like shit i mean i'm not a huge fan of that style anyway but i mean if you want to do it it's got to be perfect yep drums quantized everything to a click every note in the right place yep. otherwise it's not going to work you know but if you listen to motorhead you don't want any of that right right it's got to be loose yeah it, it's, it's weird because i actually have i try to make it it's it's kind of hard because you can easily go down a rabbit hole and become obsessed with perfection but i try to make conscious choices with certain recordings is like okay this is like for instance uh with this band doing some van halen covers right and so on one of the tunes that we did i did vocals and stuff and i was like all right, I don't want to like beat this to death and try to be perfect because that's not how Van Halen was in 1979 yeah. or whatever the hell, right? It's, that doesn't make sense to me. But if it's but if I was doing a, a collaboration, something of like modern me- prog metal, well, now I really need to look at a grid and be like, no, it's not acceptable that I'm a 64th note ahead, you know, not for this, right. you know. <laughs> it's true. And I, I sit true. there, I don't know yeah. how you are, but I sit there obsessing in Pro Tools these days with fucking, I mean, not only do I do it with yeah. the with my voice on this podcast, Vic, and my <laughs> stupid plugins trying to make myself sound more manly, but like I'm sitting there going, oh, this is a 64th beat ahead. It sucks, you know, like uh, not vocal, not this, but like. Music Some stuff. of it needs to be perfect. Like all that classical stuff I did, you know, that a whole album worth of classical stuff on that bass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially if it's like multiple layers, so it's like four basses. Yeah. If it doesn't, if it's loose, it sounds terrible. Because that's like, especially Bach, that's basically mathematics. Yep. You know, musical math. It has to be in the right spot. So you got to do take after take. And sometimes 
maybe moves a mm-hmm. couple things a little bit, but it's got to be on point. That's why I, you know, I love that stuff, the the box stuff, because he did all that before Pro oh, Tools dude. and clicks and whatever. Everyone I've met, those that, guys, whether you're a metal guy or a jazz guy, everybody's like Bach is the man. Bach did it all. You know, Bach was like the Beatles of of composers he just did everything he was like you know? the beatles if the beatles married einstein and had a baby <laughs> yeah like yeah exactly like the beatles and einstein like some great Weird mathematicians baby probably you know like it kind of looked like ringo star but with the einstein thing and then the <laughs> john lennon would be a very ugly baby but very. the baby would be the ultimate genius yeah i mean is that a direct reference that bach is ugly i'm not sure i'm following your analogy here Oh no no! I m- more of the Beatles, you know, Ringo and Einstein. Uh, well, Einstein wasn't in the Beatles, I think, but uh, he was not not the best looking guy either. But you know, uh, Bach. No, he just looked like your regular guy that lived German. in that era, right? Um, yeah, Renaissance. What is it? No, Baroque guy. Baroque. Uh, what, what's the word? I don't I'm think he was for. particularly. Uh, good looking kind of dumpy looking <laughs> but yeah it was just dude. kind of a puffy german guy yeah puffy you know? there's a good not, word for it <laughs> yeah. not to be not not so. poof but puff yeah yeah he was definitely not a poof i think he had like 400 kids so he, everybody back then yeah man, everybody back then like smelled like ass but they fucked like rabbits man like that everyone had yeah. like well, what children. else are you going to do when the lights go out? There's no cell phones. Seriously, no like internet, play, no play piano, play music, viol- like every instrument. All those guys played every instrument. They just play and compose all day long and then fuck all night. Yeah. Fucking exactly. ballers back then, man. Yeah. And they're it's all amazing. math geniuses, dude. dude you- oh, there's some genius people in this world, Bach being one of them. Another guy that no one knows anything about is Garfield, the president that was assassinated and that's all anyone knows about him i went off on this on a podcast i saw this doc or i saw a hmm. presentation on garfield it was one of the most fa- if you're into like historical stuff read a book on garfield it's one of the most fascinating things you'll ever read he was an absolute genius architect huh. mathematics genius uh politician general i mean it was insane and then just a horrific tragedy the way he died that we none of it we don't ever learn about it in school right like no one ever knows you just go oh garfield he was the president and he got shot that's it right yeah read up on garfield it's for his cat fascinating <laughs> there's also the cat there's also the cat there's probably, also that's garfield. probably that's, what that's most what people would garfield think. oh the lasagna yeah, yeah the lasagna we know more cat. About- he hates monday especially this <laughs> nowadays nowadays generally oh, who does? I nowadays, yeah. it's a cat <laughs> loves lasagna the president that loved lasagna. Yeah, anyway. Yeah, dude. I can't even fathom that level of, of fucking genius. Well, then you got Beethoven, who was deaf and still composing, you know, yeah. phenomenal music. It's just, it's interesting. Yeah, those guys. But that's probably, you know, I think about that sometimes. They probably, not that everybody would be genius if we turned the lights off, but we got too many distractions, you're, you're so true. It's so true. Yeah. Phones and internet and, and TV and everything those guys had nothing mm-hmm. like you said they play music why. then if if you have food you eat a little bit mm-hmm. then you blow out the candle and you fuck your wife a couple times <laughs> if she's not already pregnant <laughs> and that's it. no it's like your wife's already pregnant so you go fuck one of your like uh you know mistresses or your uh you know yeah. <laughs> slave well, if, if- if go to a donkey yeah, show. well if you're lucky if you're rich <laughs> rich enough to have to be able to own slaves right. or you know 
uh, or for the mistress. But yeah, they, they no, had I, I agree. I think it like back in those times, it makes sense to me. Like we all know Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, and all that. And there's a ton of other composers that are, you know, still known, maybe not at that level, but there's, there's gotta be, you know, millions of people that have just gone by the wayside because that's what people did back then. There was no, you know, there were no movies. There weren't, you were either a writer or a musician or an artist, right? There was no, all these mediums that exist now, there was no influencers and, no. and models and, and, uh, I don't even know what the fuck TV stars and reality stars and movie stars. None of that shit existed. Right. So I think, no. and back then that's why the writing is so fucking brilliant from you go back a couple of centuries and you have these brilliant writers and poets and thinkers and musicians and artists. And you're right. There was nothing else to do, but hone those crafts. And I think back, I would assume, I think that back then music was a language that was probably nowadays like, you know, everyone's speaking English over in Europe, right? Back then, the second language of, of so many people, at least uh, the aristocrats or even probably maybe unless you were just dirt poor, was music. Everyone probably had a fucking instrument, a piano around the yeah. house, and that's what people did. That was a social gathering. Everybody could play. Everybody, like the worst, the shitty musicians back then were probably like us now. You know what I mean? Like, the yeah. shitty ones were oh, like yeah. good and musicians and then the other ones probably were like, even the, the dirt poor ones had like between like you know the three families that right. lived in their one bedroom apartment had like one violin or a guitar or something yeah i you bet know, they were like all the, badass like those gypsy jazz guys you mm -hmm. know they grow up with it and that's why all those guys are so freakishly talented mm -hmm. it's insane it's so, yeah, it's so like weird you, said, you know they did, literally didn't eat, there was no plumbing no running water you just shit in no. a fucking pan and threw it out the window or whatever like i yeah. remember reading about beethoven one time to get all mad and like throw his fucking what do you call it a bedpan or your little shit pot across mm -hmm. the room and i i guess his chambermaid had to clean up his shit when he was having an off composing day you know it's like geez it's so bizarre it's like we've evolved to such such a more civilized you know level but i think in a lot of ways we've devolved you know uh, yeah uh, because we lost we lost a lot of things. I mean, we got a lot of cool toys. You know, we got like cell phones. That's cool. You can look up things on Instagram, but it's all a distraction. You know, these guys just sat behind their desks and literally wrote. I mean, that's the thing that blows my mind. Like a guy like Mozart had a piece of paper and like a pen yeah. in front of him and he wrote an music for an orchestra without touching an instrument yes now i can do that with a bass line mm -hmm. but i still usually grab a bass and like yeah does that really sound good he wrote it gave it to his musicians and he knew it was good mm -hmm. what the fuck but and it is it's mine but the way i always explain explain this if i'm talking about it what to make because it is logical I mean, you still have to, I think, be a very, you know, there is still, it's like the perfect storm of the logic that I'm about to describe and also being a genius, right? Which is, yeah, yeah. that's why it's only a handful. But the logic of it being like, yeah, if you've done music the way that we learn a language and you speak it and write it and talk it and think it every single day, all day long, your entire life, that's like a, Mozart wrote music just the way we're talking and having a conversation. Or if we start writing but even better, really, because there was no it's like if I'm writing something, I'll write a draft and I'll go back and I'll oops, I misspelled this. I misspelled that. And it sounds like with Mozart, it was just like perfect. Right? That's I mean, insane. Insane. I mean, as far as we know, obviously. We but what's great, there, I mean, but right. You think about Mozart. Mozart would take like 
I, you know, it'll take me like 15 years to like release an EP, right? Mozart would be on a stagecoach ride and be like, cool. I just wrote a sonata today. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. It's insane. And then, and so then I'm, now I'm going to go booze it up. And it's still like a rock star back in the day, man. Fucking. Oh yeah. Totally hammered and shit. <laughs> Dude. Partying. Then I love, um, I mean, I know it's a, you know, it's a, a movie for entertainment, so it's not, you know, going to be a hundred percent historically apt. Accurate. I think it was written um, based off of a play or something, but you know, Amadeus. I mean, that's such a great yeah, yeah. fucking movie, man. Mm-hmm. It's just really uh, great. Yeah. I think he lived in a time where the parties were particularly good, too. You know, those late 17, 1700s. Mm-hmm. If you were in the right circles, if you were like hanging out with the rich people, then. Yeah. You you had some parties. I want. Uh, do you really think that women were that hot back then, though? Because his chick in that movie is pretty happening. I'm wondering if that was an actual thing. Because they we- probably were, just with worse teeth and more smelly. <laughs> yeah, really. I made a reference to like Mary Todd Lincoln. I'm like, dude, like, and and hair in all the wrong places. <laughs> yeah, if we were gonna get really historical, it'd probably be something we didn't want to. We don't want to look at. You probably wouldn't mind because you wouldn't know any better. No, you wouldn't know any better. Dude, and you would probably be even more smelly, and your teeth would be even worse. Right, just cavemen. It's like fucking cavemen that are writing these this brilliant music, man. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's you know sometimes I like to take a peek, you know, into those times, but on the other times, you know, we romanticize it because we see it on TV, Mm -hmm. and you can't smell. (laughs) But walking through the streets of Paris or Vienna or wherever in those days must have been god-awful. I mean, Los Angeles on a hot day smells. Right. No, for real. Like, I mean, that on a hot day in those those meccas would just smell literally like ass. Yeah. Running water. But those, like you said, you know, when you were done shitting, you just threw that shit out the window. Literally, you threw (laughs) that shit out the window. Yeah. And that's where it sat. So. Poor peasant just lands on his fucking head while he's cleaning off. Exactly. He goes and writes a sonata about it. The shit sonata. (laughs) (laughs) But can you imagine, you know, a city like, you know, a big city probably had like 100,000 to 200,000 people. That's a huge pile of shit that doesn't go anywhere. (laughs) So true, man. And in summer, that heats up. Plus all the food because no refrigerators. So there's the tons of rotting food and all the body odor of the people and then the poor people that literally never washed and couldn't afford perfume those smells man i don't think we could stand it even we were zapped oh dude like seriously nobody ever talks about that nobody ever talks about that it's like oh where could you time travel to oh i'd go to the 1700s so i could meet mozart and you would never it doesn't think you don't think about smell and you would show up and be like, God, Jesus Christ. Like I got, get me the fuck out of here. Like, and if you wouldn't puke instantly, you'd probably die of food poisoning. I mean, that same day. Oh, we're such pussies now. I mean, we just, obviously Texas just had this huge crisis with the winter storm and all these people lost yeah, power. How are you guys doing? I mean, you guys have power. Yeah. What we about we the fared water? pretty well, man. You we know, all lot, we all lost water for the most part, but, um, not, most of How's us that that, snowman doing that you had in your bathtub he helped my toilet flush thank god <laughs> so i didn't have that yeah see i had to, yeah, you had to use a chamber got, pot. I, it was yeah it was getting dire i was like there was a there was a small part of me like thinking i was gonna just maybe go shit in the backyard for a couple of days because i was like i'm getting tired of having to 
put snow in my toilet, man. It was, it's a lot of work. Put on some Mozart and you know. <laughs> you get in the mood. <laughs> yeah, but that's so true, right? I mean, we're so spoiled now. It's like, oh my God, I can't drink the tap water. There's a boil notice and, and uh, oh my God, I can't flush my lovely toilet yeah there was none of that even existed right. back like no, you're right they didn't I think drink would, water nobody would, drank water in no. those days because you would die right we would show up a vomit immediately and then die it'd be like oregon trail and you just die of dysentery five minutes later like everyone yeah. would just be dead yeah you wouldn't live unless you you know i mean you know you put a mask on that wouldn't help you you probably have to have like full-on hazmat suit to survive one day in the you know 17th or 18th century the best reality in show Europe ever would be to send like paris hilton and kim kardashian back to like the 1700s that would be the best Fuck yeah. fucking first of all <laughs> they would like just like get there and be like i got like where's the avion water and they'd be like gagging and and then they would just be like like raped by like a gang of dirty cavemen like it would just be like the most while getting infected with the black plague right like just getting like <laughs> stds and the plague like all it would be like one episode that's all that there would be before they died but i'm not saying like it's cool to go rape dumb whores but like no it's that's what it would be or you know or, and then one guy would be sitting in the corner and then one guy would be in the corner painting it <laughs> another guy would another guy would be writing a, fo- a, a song about it you, you never know they might give them stds yeah, yeah, those two particular yeah. girls, you're right. Well, that's the other thing. You know, if you took someone, you know, like Mozart or Beethoven out of their time and put them in our time, they probably wouldn't survive. Oh, no. It would, not, the, it would the, not be like Bill and Ted at all. Like Beethoven <laughs> no. would just be like. Unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Bill and Ted, pretty freaking awesome. Even that last one was kind of fun. Oh, I didn't see it. Did you ever see that, Vic? Because I think we were yeah, talking no, about it earlier on an earlier podcast. Yeah. Let me check it out. I mean, it doesn't get better than the original. Yeah. Now the, the original is pretty great. I mean, Keanu Reeves was clearly born to play that role, um, and it's a cool premise. Oh. I mean, it's dumb as hell, but it's but it's awesome. Yeah, it's fun. What was it's the cool San, music? San Demas. San, what was it? San Demas or Dina? Yeah, San Demas. Yeah. Demas with fucking uh, what was like George Carlin, right? One's in yeah. the original. Yeah. yeah, Wild Stallions. Yeah. yeah, isn't the new one like their daughters or some shit? Yeah. Now I'm thinking maybe I just saw the preview. Maybe I didn't even see it because they're daughters, but I don't remember how the story goes and the movie just came out. So maybe I didn't see it. I kind of want to see it though. Yeah, I do too. And it's something I just sort of totally forgot about because all these movies come out and you might get, get a glimpse of it and it's out and it's on net. You don't even remember. It's not like when things came out in the theaters and it was in the theater for, you know, well, months. yeah, now there is no, there's like none of that. Nothing. Right unfortunately because i kind of like going to the movies i love going then, to movies man you know then the one movie that came out and that they put straight on the streaming was that wonder woman movie and i was looking forward to that and i heard it was sucked. terrible yeah i heard that was awful. terrible and i liked the first one the first one was really good oh there was another one with, least, that, with the same girl yeah the first one and uh, all the dc movies are at least the last couple of years to me have been not very good if mm-hmm. you compare them to all the marvel stuff in my opinion and then they come out with that wonder woman movie and it was really good so they come out with a new you know part two i'm like oh i'm excited finally something good and then it sucks that's a letdown sorry that wasn't a very exciting no i I feel that way about a lot of movies. i mean i feel that way about a lot of movies where i'm just like if i um yeah I, i don't know what it is like 
I, I can't get into those kind of movies as a general rule, like the whole superhero stuff. Although I did watch part of the, what was it? The Batman. I didn't realize how long it had been. The Batman begins with Christian Bale. And that was like 2005. See, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. good. Especially coming off good. of it. And I got curious. So I started reading up on some of the Batman stuff, right? Cause I was like, well, what was that? And there was the one after that, the dark night rises with, with Heath Ledger is the joke, which I've never seen. It's supposed to be a phenomenal performance. And obviously there was the, you know, one way back with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson, which is classic. And then they kept progressively getting worse. And what they actually pulled, they had a whole another one written after Batman and Robin. They just can't, like, they like, we're like, we're not going to move forward with this fucking malarkey. Oh. And like, they waited until they kind of came back out. I guess it was Christopher Nolan did the, um, the Christian Bell one, but that fucking, it was funny. Cause I was reading it. And it was like on Wikipedia. <laughs> about batman and robin which is a horrible movie and it's all like considered you know blah 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 you know typically considered one of the worst films of all time (laughs) that's rough man dude it's a piece of shit i think it was one of those movies that i watched like five minutes of it was like i can't do this this is just god awful but um what are some of your favorite movies curious now well, there's the Master and Commander. That uh, I love that movie just because it's not like your regular action movie. It actually, and just like the books I was talking about, it really does a good... I'm a big history guy, too, so mm. it really represents history of life on a ship, like in the British Navy in like the early 1800s. Not just like ships blowing each other out of the water. There's some of that, too, but just... How Michael Bay CGI uh, right? history movie? How Pearl Harbor isolated you are? You know mm. those guys sitting on a ship, like two hundred to three hundred people, trapped on a little wooden shell, going literally around the world. Talk about bad smells. Yeah, bad smells, diseases, shitty food, shitty mm. food. Like the first couple weeks, they usually have fresh food, but like I said, no refrigerators. Yeah. So if you're going on a, a journey that's like six months or a year long, and you're going all across the world, and you don't always have places to stop and go to Ralph's, you know, because there <laughs> is no Ralph's, you got shitty food every day you, for months. Do you know the movie Glory? Denzel Washington, Matthew Broderick came out in 1989 in Civil War about the 54th Massachusetts. Uh, oh, that's one of my favorite historical movies. We were just that. talking about that on the last podcast. Dude, go watch it. It's fucking awesome. Okay. So good. Morgan Freeman's in that one. Too. If you like his like Morgan huh? Freeman's in that one. Morgan yeah. Freeman. Yep. It's I might have to check that out. Fantastic Glory. movie. Yep. I may have seen because I love that whole era, too. What's that other? There's two movies. I think Martin Sheen is. In oh, one. Gettysburg. I think the first one yeah. was called Gettysburg, and then the next one was Gods and Generals. Yeah, I have those, and they're like super long, like Whoa, four crazy hour long. Yeah, Gettysburg is pretty good. I want to say that was loosely based on. Um, oh God damn it! What's that book called? Is it Hell's Angels? I'm not sure, but I thought those were good. No, that's a goddamn biker club. What the fuck? Well, but, yeah, the Hell's I mean, Angels are. Uh, uh, God damn it. It's based on a book, and I can't think of the title of it. But, yeah, Gettysburg and, and those. I remember that one. But, no, Glory is a, you know, a pretty common running time movie, and it was early Denzel 
I think he won an Academy Award. Is that what you were saying, Vic, for Best Supporting Actor? It's so good. Yeah. Yep. Well, check that out. It's interesting stuff. Yeah. Um, boy, this is really going to bug me now that I can't think of this book title. Who gives a shit? Anyway. Um, yeah. I mean, um, what are some other historical war movies you dig? Saving Private Ryan this was a good movie. I saw that when it came out in the theater and I did not, it floored me because I didn't expect it. I, I don't Pretty know. I might've not seen intro. previews and I was like, well, it's Tom Hanks. So it's just going to be you know, <laughs> sappy with maybe a little bit of action. And then that first half hour, so I just good. sat in the theater like, dude, that, that movie came out. And it was so intense. Like there were veterans like getting up and walking out of the movie theater. Cause they couldn't yeah, handle it's, it. It's, it's pretty intense. Hardcore. I mean, it's yeah. Growing up in Europe, uh, I have, family that were directly affected by the war in very very different ways Uh so from my one grandfather that i knew i heard terrible stories so i can only imagine if you were in that war in whatever way and you see that movie you'd get the fuck out of the theater because that's looks very real yeah no it's amazing well it's uh it's a fictional movie but it's based off of history right but uh yeah, that's yeah. production company. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the, yeah. that opening yeah. scene was just absolutely crazy. That's brilliant. It's insane. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I cannot imagine being a vet of that. You know, if you were there storming Normandy Beach and then seeing that on a big screen, I'd walk out too. The, like, yeah, uh, I already did that. Sorry. Not, well, then they did Band of Brothers, yeah. Tom Hanks and Spielberg. Yep. Right? Yeah, so they did Band that of Brothers. Too far. That was, that was yeah. great. And then they did this the same. The Pacific. S- company did the yeah that, that was, was great, great too i never watched that one um it's, i saw yeah it's just as good it's just it's, uh yeah i was i was just looking this up band did you did you guys ever read the uh the stephen ambrose stuff because that was what band, band of brothers was based on um i guess it says here a, a non-fiction book that he wrote but he had a lot of uh well he's got he wrote he the one black hawk down books. right so based on the no no that oh did ambrose didn't write I think that, he did, did. He? really yeah, and that was Ridley Scott. That was a that was yeah. an awesome movie too, man. That movie fucking just like once yeah. they got there, it was like fucking war. There was no bullshit. It was it yeah. was in it. The Killer Angels is the book you're thinking of. That's the yeah, The Killer yeah. Angels. That's the book. Uh, hmm. No, so and Mark Mark Bo- Bowden or oh, Bowden okay. wrote Black Hawk Down. Okay. Killer Angels is the one that's glory is uh, based on. Yes, yes. loose. Let me write. Um, loosely. No, oh, no, Gettysburg. no, not Glory. Sorry, Gettysburg is. Yeah, Gettysburg. Okay. Uh, no, Glory is based uh, more or less. I mean, there's the fictional characters, but it's based on the true story of the. I think that's the 54th Massachusetts, Massachusetts, yeah. which was like yeah, Colonel, a, Colonel Shaw is a black guy. regiment. Yeah, Matthew Broderick's character. He's a real dude. Gotcha. Yeah, that movie kicks ass, man. Platoon's yeah, a classic. Always like that one. Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. You know, I don't know. I like. I think it's not done not as bad to me now i just i hated the ending of that because that sniper was killing their whole team and i was like you fucking pussy kill that bitch and i don't know i mean i've never been in war so i have the luxury of acting like an asshole about it <laughs> yeah, but but, here, so. but the first half of that movie in arlie ermy or whatever his name is was just so absolutely brilliant and i mean you guys know the story on that right like he was he was an advisor on the mm-hmm. film and the original guy cast as the staff sergeant or whatever was like um he's the door gunner on the helicopter that was the original oh yeah, really he was yeah because then uh what's his name kubrick was just like dude you should do this to 
Is that his name? Lee R. R. Lee Army. R. Lee yeah. Er- yeah. Yeah. Full Metal Jacket. Oh, yeah, that dude was perfect, dude. So Absolutely. good. So so fucking. Well, he. That made. I think that made his career, man. Like right. He they did that film, and then he was an actor after that. Thanks. And uh, I know you had some well, stuff he, on the History he's, Channel. Uh, he's stuff. been in some older, uh, some other movies before that. Like he was, was in the Boys before? and Company C. So he played a. Oh. He played a, a drill instructor in that one too, but it was a, uh, a less accurate. It was a little more dramatic, right? But uh, yeah, it sounds like uh, almost like with that one's. I almost feel like Kubrick might have been like, just do what you would do. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. No, just, he, he, like I think it was all no, none of that was scripted, no, right? No, that, that's that's probably real drill instructor shit that he's saying. Yeah. Well, you would know better than anybody, yeah. Vic, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's pretty accurate. What was that? What, what was that like? Yeah. I mean, really? Like, you just fucking get in there and tear your ass to pieces. And is it pretty intense like that? It, so, so it's not just one guy. So in the movie, you'll see in the background, other drill instructors aren't around, right? So there's always going to be four. There's going to have a senior. He's going to have at least two juniors, maybe three uh, for the team, for the entire platoon. And so a lot of the guys are going to be a lot of the DIs there. There's one called that that's referred to as the Strong J, the Strong Junior Drill Instructor, who's like the the most senior one. So he'll probably be a senior drill instructor later. But those guys, the junior drill instructors, are just bulldogs, man. They just like it's all sunshine and rainbows. You get you you show up and well, I went to San Diego. Right? That's where I went to boot camp. Right, the other one. Uh, in the movie is that pendleton no uh no it's uh no pendleton's not pendleton's between san diego and los angeles um mm-hmm. but in the movie they're at paris island so but same same thing right so you get there you go to a training platoon you're on hold for about a week you learn to do basic stuff you know get dressed the way you, they want you to dress tie your shoes the way they want you to tie your shoes you know get your head shaved make a bed make make your rack things like that learn how to and you got to do that shit like perfect, right? Is that true? Like with the beds yeah. and stuff, is it that mm-hmm. intense? Really? Yeah. And you got, and first thing in the morning, you got to make it up. You know, that's the first thing you do and you get online. But anyway, uh, so you're, you're in uh, receiving for like a few days, maybe a week, just depending on the training cycle. Then you get dropped to your training platoon. So you're carrying all your shit to your, to your barracks, your squad bay. You go, you get, you know, filtered into your platoon. And each platoon has their own set of drill instructors in your, in your company. And so you'll have the company officer, you know, he gives a speech. He's like, Hey, you know, you're basically, you're here to, to, uh, embark on a journey, gives you this like <laughs> pretty cool speech. But then the DI comes up and the is like, Hey, this, uh, the senior drill instructor comes up and he's like, Hey, it's my job to make you into Marines, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, uh, myself with my junior drill instructors, my other drill instructors, and they all, you know, kind of line up. And so far it's not bad. The officers leave and you see the doors just kind of just very slowly closing. <laughs> and oh, as soon as they click, all hell breaks loose. Wow. And it's just chaos. People are yelling. You're getting shoved. Uh, we're not yelling. We're scrambling. The DIs are yelling. They're like in your face, like the, the brim of their smokies are poking you in the forehead. Right. So you got spit all over your face. Any guy that says like, you know, I couldn't go to the military cause I would just punch a guy now. Now we had gangbangers there, you know, 
are really are are you are they they just fucking terrify the shit out of you or i mean you gotta know that the repercussions if you actually retaliate are gonna be so hardcore though right i mean oh i mean these did you ever see did you see people ever like buck up to the to the officers no no anybody that says that's full of shit i'll be honest Mm -hmm. yeah anybody that says that's full of shit Uh i can believe i mean i i saw dudes that thought they were hard you know that came in they were little gangbangers and they were crying i mean just literally like little kid crying and yeah i remember seeing those guys for a couple of days and they get dropped right wow well you gotta be i mean if you're a marine a united states marine then you gotta be the biggest badass in the world and the only way to to do that is to make sure that you know you're in shape yeah you get uh you get first thing in the morning pt and then you go eat breakfast and then there's more pt and then there's drill and then there's just this entire this knowledge dump of the entire history of the united states marine corps the legacy the heritage and so that's why marines are a little bit unique i think we're brainwashed a little bit (laughs) but uh you talk to anybody else in any other services i so the other podcast that i mentioned a couple of times i think you skunk is cleared hot like andy stump right Mm -hmm. former navy guy navy seal guy and he was talking to um uh, a Medal of Honor recipient, uh, Kyle Chapman, Kyle Carpenter, Carpenter. And he would talk about like the Marines are unique because you have all this stuff that's drilled in your head from basically day one. He goes, you go to, he goes, I went to a Marine base for some training and like every hall had a plaque and it was just in dedication to the memory of a Marine that did just this badass thing at this battle, you know, whether it's, you know, uh early days 1775 vietnam war desert storm there's always a hall that's named after a marine hell i mean the, one of the main roads in camp pendleton's basslon road you know john basslon so if you ever see the pacific right john basslon's one of the major characters in that tv series that hbo tv series mm-hmm. uh yeah. manila john that dude was a badass so yeah uh, so Arlie Ermey, you know, going back to Full Metal Jacket, Arlie Ermey was a drill instructor during the Vietnam War. So he he did a couple of tours in Vietnam, then he became a drill instructor. And so back then, all the guys that were drill instructors were mostly infantry guys. It wasn't until it, maybe after the 60s, maybe early 70s, that they started letting other job uh, other job groups into the DI Corps. So, you know, then you have guys that came from you know, the air wing, you know, whatever other jobs in the Marines. But prior to that, it was all infantry guys and they were all drill instructors. And so you would just get your ass beat. You get your ass run down, climbing up a, climbing up a hill with the, you know, with the 30 degree pitch with a full, with a full backpack, you know, full pack helmet. Did you, did you ever leave a donut in your foot locker? No. No. <laughs> There's no way that you can sneak out any food, man. They watch you like us. I hope for your sake you didn't have a fucking private pile in your Oh no, uh, I did. His name was Bingle. Yeah, oh really? His name was Bingle. Oh yeah. no. Did he, was it, did he like fuck Recruit everybody? Bingle. Did you guys have to pay for his we shit? We had to dress him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, he was slow. Nice guy, but he was just not getting it. And so in the mornings, like there was like three or four of us that would get up in the morning a little bit earlier or before Reveille. We would make sure he would get his boots on, make his rack, help him tie his boots, get online. Oh, wow. Uh, he eventually ended up getting dropped, 
you know, and, and there, we didn't, yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a blanket party or anything like that, but like in the movie, but, uh, beating them with soap. Yeah. yeah. Apparently that happens. Hey, I'm actually, uh, yeah, I'm not so actually, you know, what just popped in my head. Another, I think a great movie. I think it's a Rob Reiner movie is a few good men, but I wonder as a Marine, uh, you just answered my question as a Marine. <laughs> do you look at that film and be like, what a bunch of bullshit? Oh, what yeah. a bunch of, yeah, uh, yeah, that movie. what a bunch of, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like it's a, um, Oh, I can't think of how to describe it. Like there's an agenda behind the movie, right? You're almost like dragging. I guess in your mind, is that kind of drag the Marine Corps through the mud? Because for me, I can watch it and be like, it's a movie. It's a great, it's a, it's a good film. But if I was a Marine, I could see taking offense to that. Right. I didn't. You seen that one, Minnow? Few good men. Tom Hanks, Jack. No, that's famous I ass line, right? I think I've seen it, but I can't Tom really remember. That famous Tom line Cruise. that's. Yeah, Tom Cruise. That famous Tom line Cruise. where Jack Nicholson goes, "You can't handle the truth," right? That one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I have I have uh, been in briefings with um, a division or division general one time at a combined arms exercise. I I don't think you would ever hear a Marine officer pop off like that, in you know, outside of his command. And even then, well, are you talking about Jack Nicholson? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's such no. just uncharacteristic of Marine officers, right? Um, yeah, I, it, that and that's what I mean. To me, it's just like, yeah, that's that's not the Marines. Uh, this, this is yeah, just, this yeah. Is, I mean, it's a it's a this fiction. is a fictional it's this fiction. is drama, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, same good movie, not not historical yeah. or not probably accurate. Yeah, Jarhead was another one that people, you know, Marine, some Marines like it, some Marines don't. But uh, that's the one with Jake Gyllenhaal. And uh, I yeah, I mean, it's about Desert Storm. And it's just one one on one hand, it shows you just the monotony of just going out and just waiting to do stuff. Right. Uh, on the other hand, I think it it like the boot camp thing really bugged me, like the boot camp scene. Like it's the guy they had playing the drill instructor. First of all, he did not look like he was supposed to. Right. So he, he had a mustache. Drill instructors don't have any facial hair at all whatsoever. Clean shaven. So this guy is already wrong. You know, Tom Selleck is the drill instructor. <laughs> Tom Selleck's badass. Magnum D.I. Magnum would have to shave to, to, be, <laughs> to be accurate. Well, I guess he doesn't have that mustache anymore, no, does. does he? I no, see him. He's doing. No. Oh, does he? He's doing commercials for goddamn uh, uh, retirement. Had, yeah. Mortgages. Maybe he's on the show Blue yeah. Bloods. Oh yeah, that's the, the, the commissioner. Kind of, yeah. No, yeah, so uh on Jarhead, like the DI, it looks like it looks like he had he he's just the worst delivery. It's like very monotone, like he's reading from a card or he's reading like from a t- somebody's holding up a big chief tablet with big words written there, you know, so and he's reading them straight off the page. Uh, you will fall in yeah, line. Yeah, exactly. That that's the delivery. Yeah. Um, I know we got to wrap up here soon, but two more movies popped in my head. We had talked about Lone Survivor, uh, I think a few podcasts back. Man, that movie fucking rocked me, dude. That was hardcore ass oh, movie. Did you, I think I was, was getting, I was, te- yeah. Did you watch? I was tearing up in the theater at the end of that fucking thing. It was so was intense, it? man. I, did you ever see that, Minnow? <laughs> no, who's that? Fucking I hell, that movie's Mark Wal- Mark Wahlberg. It's Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, Peter Berg directed it. Um, oh, it's amazing. What's the guy's name that wrote the Marcus book? Luttrell. Marcus. Yeah, it's amazing. I've seen the. <laughs> title so lone survivor this is all good because i mean i need yeah, shit to lone watch. survivor you know we're still on fucking lockdown I know, so i know michael bay is usually you know the big explosion 
action movie guy, but he, he directed 13 hours, which is based off of uh, the CIA contractors that were protecting the embassy in Libya. Right. And so that attack on September 11th. So that, that movie's based on those actual guys and the actual guys, the contractors, okay. they're, they're the technical advisors. That's actually a really good movie. I need to watch that one. I remember yeah. you bringing that up and I forgot about yeah, so that one. Those are a little more historical, you know, of course it's going to be a little drama in those, but, um, yeah, Hollywood can never do pure, like historical, historically accurate yeah. stuff. They just can't. I'll seem tell you, to do it. I'll tell you, well, I think Lone Survivor does a pretty good job. Um, I think Black Hawk Down was pretty, was pretty good. You know, there's been some good yeah. ones, but, but I, I, a lot of times you get, yeah, Michael Bay is so surprising with that. Like, I, I don't expect someone like Kubrick or Ridley Scott to not follow all those, mm -hmm. the rules, but I, I, I was going to make a joke about the, the best drill instructor would be your Brad Pitt in, uh, Inglorious Bastards, right? <laughs> We're going to kill us some Nancy. He wasn't a drill instructor. He was their officer. That movie's not awesome. a drill instructor, but he does that little speech. Yeah. That movie, okay, that's a perfect example. I mean, it's Tarantino, and Tarantino has his shtick that he always kind of goes to over the kind of the alternate, kung fu. alternate reality type of. But I got to say, well, I, yeah, I love that. that. Ending was it's so <laughs> dumb. It's so. Well, he does the same thing with. Did you guys see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? That movie. Oh, oh, so yeah. good. It's so good. I, the ending great. was absurd. But the thing about a Tarantino movie is like, you are. Ex that's what's you know it's going to end that way so you have to know that going in and be okay with it. it's going to be absolutely stupid it's not historical it's the complete opposite of whatever it was yeah. i mean boy when did that have been great if nazi germany would have ended in one foul swoop like that that would have been fucking amazing but that movie inglorious bastards has some of the great greatest cinematic scenes ever in my opinion like that opening scene with christoph waltz is oh, yeah. so intense with and the mills so yeah. good mill oh. I, Dude, that is just when that I started is a watching good actor. that. Dude, he's a that phenomenal. Guy. Yeah, phenom and he won an Academy Award, I think, for that. Yeah. But when oh, I saw that dude. movie, I was kind of like, yeah, we'll check it out. And I, I that that scene wrote me. I was like, holy fucking shit, this is good. Like what? it was. It, what's, what's his name? It was Christoph? so good. Christoph yeah. Waltz. Christoph yeah. Waltz. Well, he was in. He was also Jane. in Django Unchained. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is a, another the, good movie. The, the part that just had me rolling on Django Unchained was. You know, him and Chris, uh, Jamie Foxx and Christoph Waltz uh, are on that berm and they're waiting for uh, freaking uh, Crockett. What's his name from uh, Miami Vice? Uh, Some. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Damn it. Nat Don Don Johnson. Johnson. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's who it is. Leading yeah. the uh, leading the white sheets in. Right. But before that, they cut to this scene where they're trying on their hoods. And like the eye holes aren't lining up and they're just, they're just oh yeah the that's right <laughs> i was like one of the funniest it is, it's it awesome. hilarious man i was like oh, i forgot about that great. yeah well shit fire <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is a that's a i i see the first time i saw it i was like eh, and then i watched it again actually and i was like yeah it's yeah. a pretty good movie man but, like uh um, yeah but once upon a time in hollywood is great i i think it's probably like my favorite dicaprio film <laughs> Dude, DiCaprio is awesome. shit, man. That dude is Especially so good. Especially when the little girl makes him cry. Yes, yes. You know, when he's sitting there. Yes. <laughs> I don't oh remember that. And that, that whole... The one scene in that movie that stood out to me that I thought was had that Tarant had that same kind of moment, um, not as good, but that same kind of moment as the opening scene in, in The Glorious Bass, just such tension and such a great... Was the part where, where Brad Pitt goes to the oh, ranch? The Stall Ranch, yeah. And he oh, goes yeah. and sees, and you the whole time you're just like, this is not going to end tension. well. So that, yeah, it's so much tension. Yeah. It's just so, mm -hmm. so good. Yeah, because uh, yeah. Tarantino has that 
you know, you never know what to expect. Like there could be a character like John Travolta's character in Pulp Fiction. And then, you know, that one scene, Bruce Willis blows him away back in, you know. Right. Yeah. 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 Out of nowhere. (laughs) Holy shit. That movie's goddamn. I mean, we could all talk about Pulp Fiction all day long, but just that, oh, yeah. there's so many great moments. I love when the, after the heroin overdose or whatever the fuck it is, and they're driving, he's calling Eric Stoltz. Oh. And he's sitting there eating cereal, smoking a cigarette. And he's just like, I told, I told you not to have people call here. Oh. <laughs> I'm about to tell this asshole. <laughs> he's like, wait, are you calling me on a cell phone? Prank call, prank call. So good. Oh, and for oh, the God, longest dude. time, I've refused to watch any Tarantino movies because... I don't like his face. <laughs> oh, he's, a, wanna, like he's got face. dude. He's got the most punchable fucking face. Exactly. So, you want to punch that dude in the face just because of the way he looks. <laughs> and then I finally caved in and watched Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. I'm like, God damn it. So good. Awesome. Yep. Dude, I'll tell you another one. I think he was the screenwriter. He didn't direct it, but True Romance. Oh, Have you ever seen yes. that? True Romance oh, yeah. is incredible. It's, uh, yeah, one of my a, favorite actors, Gary Oldman's in there. Gary, and, uh, dude, I was, you know what? Speaking of. What was um, his name? Drexel Spivey. Oh, he was in the Batman yeah. one. Yeah, the Gary Oldman. He's such a great character actor, man. Yeah. He's so He's uh, such a chameleon. Christopher Walken was Jack, in that what one is it? Too. What's true romance? Yeah, the, well, one of the I greatest mean, this scenes guy ever. Both Christopher Walken, Beethoven, and, and, and Sid Vicious, or Dennis, Dennis Hopper. Did he really? Who? Gary Oldman. That's Gary right. Oldman played Sid yeah. Vicious in Sid and Nancy, and he played Beethoven in Immortal Blood. Oh, he did play Beethoven. That's right. He's such a great actor, man. And yeah, oh, Drexler—that's the guy he played. In True Romance, right? White Boy Day, yeah. is it? Saints White Boy Day, and he's also awesome in the Leon, the professional, That's right. as the dirty yeah. cop. Oof. The professional yeah. with Natalie Portman. Yeah, yeah. he's the the, the corrupt uh, no cop. Shit. And uh, I haven't, man, I haven't Gary seen Oldman. that. In I so can't long. remember the other actor's name. The the hitman. Um, oh, the yeah. French guy. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, he was in that yeah, movie Ronan with too. Robert De Niro. Oh, that's a great yeah. movie. Jean, I think it's Jean, 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 or yeah. Jean, whatever. If you're that's right. Not. He was in Ronan. I forget his last name. Yeah. Good oh. actor, too. I'm actually looking that up. Pretty intense, too. Dude, that movie has like the longest car chase ever. Oh, it's fantastic. Ronan. Jean, uh, Jean Reno. Oh, Jean yeah. Reno. Jean- <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. There you go. Oh, yeah, Gary. Wow. I'll have to watch that again. I haven't seen that in a billion. Wow, 94. Shit. Now he played Portland was like 12 or something in that yeah. movie. Yep. Wow. Anyway, cool. Um, All right. Well, we covered um, Marines, donkey shows, movies, <laughs> music. Sharon Osbourne. I learned that every... Punchable faces. Sharon, okay, so what did we learn? Sharon Osbourne is a wicked, savage businesswoman. Although, by the way, you know what's interesting about all that you said is perspectives, right? Because reading Ozzy Osbourne's book, which I really liked at first, and then it kind of got old because he talked about the the origins of Black Sabbath and his in it being young, and then and there was a lot of hilarious Ozzy drug stories. Of course, it was a lot of really funny shit. Like his firstborn child was uh, Sharon was pregnant, and they were driving to the hospital, and Ozzy never knew how to drive for like most of his life. He didn't ever drive, and then he was drunk all the time. He'd hide vodka in the stove because Sharon never cooked. I mean. These are things Ozzy says, who knows, but, but they, so he had a Rolls Royce, but he couldn't even drive it when he's like super rich and had shit, but he couldn't drive. And so Sharon Osbourne was about to have, I guess this would have been Jack or something, or maybe the kid. No, they have, they have kid an older too, daughter right? Before that's that. never on TV. An older yeah, daughter. So maybe daughter. it was that one. But so yeah. Ozzy was like driving to the hospital and he, and he was like, 
not a good driver and shit and he was like so worried like he's gonna have a baby he's gonna like fly out of the car and i don't know it's just funny as shit listening to ozzy tell these stories but like but so the first half of the book was like a lot of funny that and about stuff about sabbath and what uh, don arden or whatever his name was you know you get into that and but the way that made it sound from ozzy's i guess uh, you know according to you would be you can't how could he be brainwashed when you have no brain <laughs> right exactly <laughs> at this point i mean ozzy's just it's amazing he's even alive i love ozzy but i mean Jesus. he's more of a mouthpiece than anything yeah you yeah, know and he's, he's, a, I think he's an ozzy's icon great. but he's got i don't know how about brain cells are left up there but anyway he yeah you know so the way that that book sort of told it what i got from it was that it was very much like uh you know, he like you said, he, after Sabbath, he got fired, I think, from Sabbath. He was a total mm-hmm. mess living in a hotel room watching, by the way, watching old war movies and stuff all the time and just blitzed. And that Sharon was the the angel that, that swooped in and helped him get back on his feet. And then, you know, she they, probably wrote they put together the band. And yeah, probably. Y- yes. <laughs> You're so fucking right, you know. And, and it's then also they formed true the band. But what made me mad because- was. Go ahead. Because without her, he would be dead. Yeah, it's true. No, it's actually you so got to give her both some sides of the yeah, coin. You got to so, give her yeah, credit. Sharon probably scripted that whole thing, but that whole Ozzy's life being life being scripted by Sharon mm-hmm. is the reason right. that he is alive. Well, yeah, he'd probably be dead. He probably just would have drank himself to death in the hotel, you yeah. know. And so, like you said, I feel like there's some stuff left out, right? Obviously about the the, the, the brother and then Sharon coming to daddy and saying, no, I want this because she saw the potential in it. And there is a, a charm about Ozzy. And I think they're both such strong personalities in their own different, you know, pol- polarizing ways that they had this interesting drama every it always made for good press to him right i mean tried to kill her before he pissed on the alamo it's like bit a head off of a dove ate the head bit a head off of a bat one thing after another like went to talk about a record contract at some place right and ozzy had a dove in his pocket for some unknown reason or someone had given him one like somebody gave him a dove as a weird ass present maybe one of the record executives and they were in the middle of this meeting and so ozzy just pulls the dove out and bites its head off and spits it out on the table in the middle of their fucking like meeting i mean yeah yeah. And a lot of that stuff of you drug. start to go, who knows, you know, is it romanticized? How much of it's real? How much it's Ozzy. It's probably fucking real. But what I didn't like about the back half of that book was that when it got into, it's almost like, and they talked about Randy Rhodes and some of the early stuff a bit, but there was just like, I don't even think the words Jakey Lee were mentioned in the fucking book. Yeah. Zach Wilde was a blurb and it just kept being like, and then, and then I, and then, I'm, you know, and then this drug story, and it's like, I don't care. Like, I want to hear about how these records were made, you know, like. So like I was a little disappointed in that the later part of the book for that. That's what I want to read, man. That's, this that is how great. you f- really find out how at least the first two records are made. Yeah, uh, dude, it's really cool. I've never even heard of that. That's awesome. I'm definitely gonna look into that yep. book. Do my Amazon shopping. There you go, Bob Daisley. All right. Well, shit, so we man. Got, so we got uh, our movie where, recommendations, right? Yeah. 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 You got everything written down. Oh, Tim's Vermeer. Yeah, right? Glory for sure. Glory. Huh? Tim's yep. Vermeer on. Tim's Amazon Premier. Prime. Yep. Um, Lone Lone Survivor. Survivor. Yeah. 13 Hours. Um, okay. 13 Hours is four. Pearl Harbor. All right. Fine, fine historical <laughs> movie. Oh, my goodness. Now, nah, what a pile of shit, man. They, like, you have to, like, just look at what's her name and be like, okay, I just, I'll just look at her and tune everything else out. That's, that's, I could that's make how it. I would make Talk about a movie that covers that subject. Uh, what's the one with John Belushi, 1941? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather watch that yeah, one. Yeah, for real. It's probably more historically accurate. <laughs> yeah, right? 
And it's got John Belushi. Right. So yeah. Where's that? Um, where, where can people find you on online? So, um, bleh, behold the monolith, right? Um, is yeah. kind of the, the what's happening right now. You're about to record uh, an album with those guys. And are you? Do you have a, a website? Are are you teaching now individually, or how do people find you, or do you want um, them to find you? On social media, I'm just you know, you can find uh, Men Over Botten, so you can find it on um, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, the music is on Spotify. My album is on Amazon. It's on all the it's on all the platforms, uh, YouTube and the the paid YouTube version, whatever. It's you know, if there's a music platform, I threw my shit on there hey i'm gonna so, ask you something speaking of like that and spotify i see here under your name a christmas out appears on a rockin christmas yes. mm-hmm. that's pretty that's fucking this. cool that's like metal uh, renditions of like gold, like white christmas let it hard snow. rock cool yeah but uh charlie waymeyer on drums hacksaw remember hacksaw on uh, vocals what's uh is that a real ne- what's the Brian Williams, vocal instructor, he used to or still does like a lot of stuff at MI. Okay, play. I I think I know who you're talking about. Do you have some bands that he played with or no? Uh, not that oh. I know. That sounds familiar. Anyway, that's cool. Damn dude. hippie freaks. Remember uh-huh. that band name, the Damn Hippie Freaks? Uh uh-uh. uh No, that was him. Well, 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 we played drums for that for a long time as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm. I mean, shit, like it's, it doesn't seem like it, but it's been 20 goddamn years and I've yeah, I know. been out to LA a few times, but I've really, man, the last, you know, the last time I was at actually at MI, I went up there. I don't know if there was another reason to, I, I, I might've just popped in for an LAPW and hung out and probably saw Sean and stuff. But, but I, I remember uh, meeting Ken Steiger and getting his album, his instrumental album. How long ago was that? Remember that? Yeah. Dude, so it's that's, uh, that's a long time ago, man, you know? early 2000s yeah yeah i don't even the last time i was even down there in hollywood was man actually i did a photo shoot with sean and i think i met up with mark in 2008 when i went to the first nam show out there that's the last time okay i've been there yeah so but uh awesome man so minnow verbatim verbatim i feel like i just don't i don't have an accent so it doesn't sound right when i say it it's all good um instagram facebook youtube donk, donkey shows whatever <laughs> all those yeah spotify um behold the mammoth some unknown fucking band that only victor knows <laughs> exactly um yeah Killer another band. band um i don't know if you remember this band if you were listening to a lot of like hardcore thrash in the early 80s cryptic slaughter you ever heard of those Mm-mm. guys well, I play with those guys too, only it's under a different name. It's called Low Life. Uh, it ties in with the Aussie thing nicely. Because no, but I the, know I know the name Low Life, actually. I've heard yeah. that. So is that well, that's the same the same band, just uh, under a different same brand? Same band, yeah. Huh, and okay. we're just getting ready to record an album too somewhere this year. Cool. With Cryptic Slaughter, their original bass player or the bass player that was on their first couple records is now the bass player or was the bass player for Ozzy Osbourne. He's now known as Blasco. He originally started in Cryptic Slaughter. Really? Okay, I'm going to look this one up. Cool. Awesome. So you got two albums that you're about to hit hit the studio for, huh? Yeah. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, man, congrats on all the success. And we've talked about this on the podcast. One thing that's so cool, it's like 
I've met all these different people. Some I know that are, you know, really well, longtime friends, other people like yourself, I've chatted with once upon a time, no in passing, no of, but you know, to sit here and, and get to chat and get to know you and talk. And then also just becoming familiar with people's projects, like even having Welby on and I had never heard Time in the Dragon, you know, and, and stuff oh, like that. Yeah. So I was like, oh wow, fucking cool, you know. So um I'm, I'm stoked to come go check out some of this this music man do it now i'm curious with when welby was on did he go into deep into the politics <laughs> well yeah you know that was so when we had him on that was uh man when was that vic that what well, right around the election right it probably was right oh before. my god i love welby but i mean I've Welby's in a group i started a group on facebook that i i haven't been too prominent in but it, basically i started a group just for political discussion and i'd put some posts and let people talk about it and some people would you know be assholes and most people are very cool and not a very big no group. he's smart about it very I smart like, but welby was in there I and that's how we sort of kind of started chatting again was through that and obviously gotcha. he's a uh you know libertarian and very we did yeah. talk about that libertarian we talked about politics he talked we you know talked about guns mm-hmm. um and um just all the crazy shit that was going on you know i mean uh, with yeah. the, I, we we touched on it but not too deep i think it wasn't like a yeah. rant it wasn't right like on, a right full on. rant on podcast of, of a rant but we we did we did talk yeah we did i feel like of the the political conversations haven't been too prominent we had one podcast a little while back where we got into some politics but for the most part we haven't been right on you know yeah, politics can get pretty hairy and you know i think musicians let's talk about music some more fun no i agree i anyway. i dude i always let things just go where they want to go you know what i mean it's like i there's no i don't come in with an agenda like i need to know what your political affiliations are tell me you know like well that's i was wondering that before i you know signed in today's like what are we going to talk about is there topics do i have to have something prepared no i do podcasts exactly like that's cool i like it i I have no plan (laughs) i like the flow it's good it's good yeah i think so i mean it's awesome so i'm i'm stoked i'm thank you guys for you know thank you man now now we can now we can add donkey shows to the other podcasts that's right (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna misrepresent you like we do everybody else when the the little bio comes out it's just gonna say a fan of donkey shows and a staunch republican whatever (laughs) a huge donald trump supporter there is no bad press right it doesn't exist no you're right you're right the the more people are are grossed out and disgusted and hate you they'll they'll probably actually tune into the podcast (laughs) exactly you know it's like Cool. I always tell people I wasn't put on this planet to make friends. I was put on this planet to make music. So. Right on, man. I, I love if the I attitude. Lose a couple of friends. Eh, I'll just play. Hey, mind. all the only thing you need to change in your thinking is if you go on a first fucking date, just say Motley <laughs> Cruz fine, fucker, <laughs> and then tell her they suck. I learned my lesson. <laughs> like why the fuck did it? Yeah, Motley Crue's awesome. Yeah, Can I tell oh, you how I, much I love Motley Crue. Punching your fist the under the table, like, yeah, Nikki Six Hell is yeah. my most favorite bass player ever. He totally played on every album. Totally. <laughs> yeah, let's kickstart my heart. Yeah, kickstart my heart. <laughs> See, there you go. You can use those. Uh, I want to be your doctor. Feel good, baby, uh, dude. You. Right? That's the thing. You could do dumb I know shit like that. Motley Crue sh- song. I want to make you shout at the devil. Yeah. Oh, babe, you've got looks that kill. Like she'll either be like, "What a loser," or she'd be like, "Oh, I'm so hot right now." Fuck. Yeah. Right. Anyway, I'll, I'll, this is a good time to stop and shut up. Um, <laughs> Minnow, thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Awesome. It was fun. All right, everybody.
That's another one in the can. Until next time, this has been Skunk Manhattan with Victor Ramos, and we're out of here. Later. Later.